Welcome to this omnibus edition of Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who commentary podcast in which a special guest chooses a story for me, Toby Haydock, to watch, and as I watch, I commentate and try and guess what their favourite thing about it might be. Hi, Toby. As you can see, I'm wearing my finest Toby Haydock tribute outfit today. Uh, my name's Matt Hayden. Uh, I train people in conflict management, teamwork, communication skills, uh, cultural diversity, things like that. And all of these fascinating topics, I think, are examined in immense detail in my choice of story, which comes from 1985, when I was a fresh-faced 19-year-old. It's The Two Doctors, and I'll be fascinated to see what you think of it. Well, uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, I have spent the day doing Doctor Who commentaries, but not for happy times and places. This is for uh, some BBC releases called Miserable Times. No, it's for, it's it's uh, it's uh, I've been commentating with people um, from the show for if you're a patron listening to this for something that has yet to be announced. If you're a non-patron, it's probably been out for years and has probably been discontinued because it is on, on an archaic medium. That's the difference between how far ahead the patrons are from you listing on uh, iTunes or Podbean or one of those. Um, so is that a little bit of a plug to say if you want to get things earlier? Uh, subscribe to my Patreon feed. Um, if not, uh, welcome from the past where, oh, God, we, we, uh, we still have prawns and uh, we still have COVID um, uh, and uh, civilization as we know it still persists. So um, you've heard from... My friend Matt, uh, who is not a Doctor Who fan, uh, but he knows he's a film buff and he knows enough about Doctor Who. But Matt is the sort of person I like because even though he's not a Doctor Who fan, he could probably he, he could he could tell you all of the Doctors. I mean, he could identify Bernard Archer at ten paces, I should think, and yet he's not a Doctor Who fan. Um, and I know some Doctor Who fans who couldn't identify Bernard Archer at ten paces: Bregan in Power of the Daleks, Marcus Scarman in Pyramids of Mars. Um, but Matt knows his stuff but because he's not a fan fan although he is you know he's aware of it and he's a geeky enough guy that if he's got a passing interest in a subject he'll know quite a lot more about it than most people uh so i think he's a really interesting proposition and he's also a good friend of mine and i'm very fond of him so uh i i wanted him to take part uh and he's one of the few people thus far that has chosen a colin baker i say that i've had a few more People have chosen Colin Baker's but haven't actually recorded their things yet. So this is only my second Colin Baker, um, who was, you know, a doctor I saw when he went out. And this was one of the stories I saw uh, when it went out. So this is exciting for me. And I know it's a story that divides people. Uh, but let us now embark. Uh, so I hope you've got your, you can hear my DVD uh, menu in the background, I should think. Uh, and I do like that music. Uh, I'm on play all, which I'm going to select in three, two, one, now. Oh, and it has moved, so it's going to go. Ba-boom! Right. The first I heard of the two Doctors, I wasn't a subscriber to Doctor Who magazine. I couldn't afford it, so I wasn't uh, fully up to speed. But I did. I was on holiday, I think, or I'd got some pocket money, and, and, and we went past a... Uh, 
a shop in a town because I didn't even live in a town. So there had to be a confluence of things that enabled me to get my mitts on Doctor Who magazine. It wasn't that it was in the local newsagent. There wasn't such a thing. Um, uh, and I would stare longingly at it and not been able to buy it. Um, uh, uh, so so anyway, got the hands on Doctor Magazine. Oh, and this starts in black and white. I think that's a lovely, lovely touch. And I was very excited by this because, and and I was never sure. Uh, no, I, I I I think part of me initially hoped that was a that was a clip from an old uh, Doctor Who, uh, and and it was cleverly cut in with a new Doctor because just the idea that a fragment of an old Doctor Who story might be uh, in in modern Doctor Who was enough to convey greatness upon it because anything old was good. Um, that seems odd. Or that seems odd now, especially as somebody getting old. Um, but, but, uh, well, I will come on to this. It's an important part of my digestion of the two Doctors. And I think it's an important part of the makeup of a Doctor Who fan uh, or this particular one. Um, uh but the first I heard of the two doctors was I bought Doctor Who magazine and it had got the, you know, um, the stories coming up. Ah, uh, and it and it said, you know, and, and, it, and it mentioned the two doctors as one of them. I don't know if it mentioned all of the stories um, or whether they let them out piecemeal, but it mentioned that the two doctors was going to be three episodes. The, and the rest of the stories it mentioned were, of course, it said two-parters and I was like what because obviously I'd missed the edition of Doctor Who magazine that told you that Doctor Who for this season was going to be um you know 40 45 minute installments rather than 25 so the idea that everything was of course a two-parter was yet another thing where modern Who was terrible because it wasn't like old Who because two-parters two-parters always seemed a bit apologetic you know like uh, Black Orchid and the King's Demons and, and the Awakening. Uh, I like the Awakening, but it, they never seem like full stories. So the idea that a story might be 50 minutes long, I mean, who would think you could have enough story in something 50 minutes long? Uh, seemed an appalling idea. But then, of course, I was mollified later when I when I, it, it became apparent that uh, the episodes were actually longer than episodes we were, we were used to. Um, but I remember saying to my brother, oh, and they're going to do one called uh, The Two Doctors, and him going... Oh, isn't that idea getting a bit thin now? Because they'd recently done the five Doctors, and uh, and, and uh, we, of course, were aware of uh, the three Doctors, and it had been repeated as part of the five faces of Doctor Who. Uh, and I thought he'd be excited because, again, it's it's Patrick Troughton, so it's old Doctor Who. But he said, "Oh, isn't that isn't that getting a bit over familiar? That idea now." It's like, oh, because I was seeking approval. Um, but. Um, Sorry, I know some people don't like me drinking, so I won't drink. I, I just got a bit of a dry throat. I've, I've stopped eating in these things, which is uh, appropriate for a story that turns the stomach. Here is Shokai o' the Quonsing Grig, played by the glorious John Stratton, who I suspect uh, some people still might not have put two and two together. Uh, and I was terribly shocked when I saw a piece of work I'm now hugely familiar with, Quatermass in the Pit. Um, and and I think I'd read that John Stratton was in it. And as I was watching it, because it was all edited together when I first saw it on a BBC video, uh, I was trying to work out who John Stratton could have been because it was ancient and black and white. I reckoned he could have been anybody. Um, and of course, he didn't have Rice Krispies on his face. But I was shocked to discover he was the heroic uh, army captain, Captain Potter, who's the sort of romantic lead and is and is rather good looking in it. Um, I think he, w he went to seed quite quickly uh, Stratton because by the time he's uh, 
because he's 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 rather beautiful in um uh, the cruel sea a movie that he's in uh in in the late 50s as well he has quite a a, a big part in um alongside some cinema greats um but by the time he's in the newcomers a decade later his sort of hair is thinned out and I say that to somebody whose own hair is thinned out and and he'd and he'd got a bit rotund and I think he was quite a sort of pallid I I've, I've know people who worked with him who, who who's described him as a very sweaty actor I think he I think he, he uh, I can imagine him having quite a clammy handshake um, and I think he had sort of quite pallid damp skin and he, I, I think he had a nervous reaction to performing which meant that he got he got you know his, his shirt soaked through very very quickly and I think he had to change his shirt so um Yes, he was. A, that's my John Stratton anecdote. He was quite a sweaty man. Uh, <laughs> um, but and, I, and sadly, his I was looking him up recently. Um, his death, he was because he was a respected member of the acting profession. His death was not reported in any newspaper, nor even the stage uh, newspaper for actors. And he was only sixty-five uh, when he died, and he'd had a, you know he'd had a he'd had a. A, a good career which had petered out into being a character actor but he gets he gets top billing here he's seen as the star amongst you know such uh, recognizable faces as Jacqueline Pierce and Lawrence Payne who had been uh, a, a, a sort of a film star um so uh anyway I think John Stratton is glorious as Shockeye the Quansing Grig uh, he's the sort of character you can sort of only get away with in Doc 2 and here is Jacqueline Pierce as I never had a pleasure with John Stratton. I wrote to him. Uh, I never heard back, but I wrote to him, Kerry's his agent. And I wonder uh, now if I'd been better off going via Equity, who used to forward letters to people's homes addresses in those days until autograph hunters made them think better of it. And now genuine researchers can't get through to actors directly. Uh, well, it depends. It depends what mood Equity are in, but it certainly made things more difficult. Um, uh, anyway... Um, Lawrence Payne here, who had retired pretty much from acting at this point, and uh, uh, and Peter Moffat had said, uh, oh, come on, come out of retirement to do it. Lawrence Payne, of course, had been Johnny Ringo in The Gunfighters, which was a part that Patrick Troughton was uh, considered for, funnily enough. Um, uh, and Lawrence Payne was also Morix in episode one of The Leisure Hive, reuniting him with his Vampire Circus uh, co-star, uh, Adrienne Corrie. The the fascinating thing about Lawrence Payne is that, uh, oh, I'm sure there's a trivia question that, what links Dastari Bygan from uh, For to Doomsday? And I've just got to see if there's one other. Um, oh, Kevin Stoney, uh, Mavic Chen. They all have, I think Kevin Stoney only had one eye. Um but I, I, I'm happy to stand corrected in that. I don't know if he lost it. Oh, Anat from Day of the Daleks. Uh, so there's certainly you can, if if I do some proper research, this has only just occurred to me. Lawrence, what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is that Lawrence Payne, who played Dastari, only has one eye because uh, the actor Basil Henson and he were having a sword fight in an episode of Sexton Blake. And uh, there was an accident and, uh, uh, and it caused uh, uh, Payne to lose lose one eye um uh, but what i think of lawrence payne in this who i think is an actor of great dignity and he's got that really slightly pinched accent that he has he was from london but he's got that that uh, that sort of slightly pinched diction that he has that makes makes him noticeable even if you're not looking i think you can always tell when it's lawrence payne talking um 
uh, he reminds me here of the of the of a of something that was a, 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 a an image emblazoned in my mind from my youth as, as the bloke from the video of video killed the radio star the bloke from the buggles because he had quite funky glasses and i'm sh- i'm sure i read an interview with lawrence payne where he said that those glasses are uh, were prescription glasses for him that cost about 300 quid uh whereas he'd got his own glasses that that were would have been perfectly done the job um and that that 300 quid could have been sent on say a better set here or better Santaramas or something um i like i like these scenes between dastari and the doctor um i think lawrence payne has great dignity and and he uh, and great sort of that controlled passion that he has uh, i like his lines about saying our seed is thin that is a very nice robert holmes in piece of dialogue and i love this bit nicholas fawcett uh, as the technician who is also uh, he's now there's an actor called nick fawcett on imdb also listed as not being nicholas fawcett they separate them they're the same guy and he's still going today uh and and, and i feel sorry for him because um, i'm looking at this when he said operate the defense i thought he that was the close-up like when he's here he, he actually only says one line when you can see his face uh and, and the rest of him is sort of off screen because it's the Sontaran uh ships but i love that it's done with such economy you're you're you know you're they're showing how uh the the, the space station is getting invaded uh and and what it is is it's a, a a guy playing a small part noticing the thing getting killed blah 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 he does the job very nicely uh and he's yes he's still acting today nick Fawcett, and he is that nicholas Fawcett and nick Fawcett are the same person that imdb does not realize and that was the first time and i'd loved the Sontarans, uh, since the, the Doc 2 magazine archive of uh, the Time Warrior, which had some great pictures in it. Uh, and I love uh, the, the image of Lynx. And, and there's a picture with that that made me fall in love with Elizabeth Sladen. And I've uh, always had a soft spot for the Time Warrior. And I'd never seen the Sontarans in action. Uh, and that Doctor Who magazine that talked about the two Doctors hadn't said the Sontarans were back. And I think a future issue that I didn't get must have done. So the first I knew of the Sontarans coming back was that scene with the technician and seeing the Sontaran spaceships. So I was cock-a-hoop and in seventh heaven at the anticipation now of seeing Sontarans, one of the great monsters of Doctor Who that I'd not seen. And I was also predisposed to like this because Patrick Troughton was by now... I think my favourite Doctor because I loved him in the Five Doctors and because he was from the olden days and uh, I, I love the way that Colin Baker does does this food stuff the way he describes uh, cooking the cooking the gumball jacks in their own juices is a beautiful piece of uh, foodie acting uh, and and it's clever because you're talking because because food is good if something is steeped in its own juices. It's a it's a good way of flavouring something and using the, the the most of the beast if 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 you were. But it's also pretty grim if you boil it down to what it's sort of talking about. So I think that's very clever. It has that clever duality of what consuming a living creature is. Um, I, for the record, am a non meat eater, but I I do eat fish. I I wanted to give up fish when I was younger, and my mum wouldn't let me because um, I had to get some protein and she was doing the cooking and she was colin baker uh, i think does the fish fish holding acting extremely well there i i think you buy that that is an actual moving fish i even think you could sort of see it moving but it's not um but i think he sells the illusion of that very well i'm enjoying the two doctors i hope you are uh, i know it divides people um but uh yeah i was i was very very happy to see patrick troughton back 
because um, he was my first. It didn't actually occur to me the whole Time Lord thing, riding roughshod over what we knew of Doctor Who, but it now seems a very odd decision for a story that for a for a series that was so fastidious about throwbacks to the past. It then makes a major howler, and I know, yeah, you can now go, oh yeah, well, because he's got grey hair. It's season six, be it set after the War Games. Yeah, that 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 sort of gymnastics. Um, uh, I'm not sure should be required if you're doing something uh, that is that is just for people that don't go into it in that much detail but you know remember the the general sort of timelines of the show um i think these things shouldn't make if if you're looking back to the past you shouldn't then make it more complicated and contradictory although i'm also sympathetic to robert holmes's thing of just going uh, i'll throw in whatever i want if it helps with the telling of the story um but did and i suppose you do need the time lords for this so anyway, it is what it is. And yeah, okay, it's season six B. Um uh, I, I I I as I say, I like I like this stuff between them. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that they start with the seventh doctor, a uh, second doctor. It's quite brave to start without your leading man. Uh uh and I actually I do feel for, for, for Colin Baker because um I mean, like in Revelation of the Daleks, where he arrives in the story an episode late, uh, all the exciting things going on while he's walking towards the venue of the story. Um, this is very much at the moment a, a seventh Doctor, second Doctor story. Why do I keep saying seventh Doctor when I mean second? Um, your diplomatic, uh, uh, Patrick of Razor Hines have a great, uh, a, a, a great report. Fraser Hines. There aren't many actors that you could cast um, 20, 20 years after they've they've done it and and them still you know pass for the same age. I mean, Trouton's hair has gone grey, uh, but but Fraser Hines still has the youthful look. I, now I, again, I love the economy of this. We you know nowadays you'd see the whole invasion force and all that sort of thing. This, you go, we've got some excellent music. We've got an extra. He's called Fernand Monast. I think he's also one of the dancers in Black Orchid. Um, come in and say, Professor, and get shot. Bit of music. You see the hand and the weapon. Uh, you see uh, Jamie. I was going to say, I think Runoff is, is, is quite generous. He sort of ambles off. <laughs> um, but I, I love that whole sequence. Uh, I love the, the face-off between the Doctor and Dastari. I do get the impression of old friends. I do get the impression that the Doctor's um, wayward w way of behaving is slightly at odds with the dignity of the, the scientist. And the scientist who also is quite affronted by the Time Lords. I, I like, I, I buy that whole relationship and I think they do it very well. But I love that. I love the Sontaran theme. I love the, I, I don't know, there's something, I just, I love an extra running off on and saying something and, and a laser gun killing him. Because it's all, it's all a sort of, it's a confluence of the, the things you had at your disposal. Um you know, nowadays you can have laser beams flying around all over the place, but that was a that was an effect that took some putting on, and so you didn't see many of them. So it was exciting just to see a laser beam. Um, it was exciting to see glimpses of a Sontaran because, as I say, I'd not uh, I'd not seen them up to this point. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm 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 thrilled by the whole invasion of the the spaceship bit. It's exciting. Um, but it is it is worth examining why because something is old um so, so this is old enough the where the hero can have a knife uh <laughs> because you wouldn't you wouldn't do that nowadays it's interesting is it how knives were seen as 
fairly low-key forms of violence. You could you could stab somebody, throw a knife in somebody's back, and that was less visceral somehow than than shooting somebody because um, because people had knives, and now you go not a chance because knives are imitatable and and uh, te- actually terrifying. God, knife crime is so um, uh, you know such a blight to our streets, and yet it was people messed about with knives i mean i my brother we'd got a few knives lying around because my my dad had picked them up on his travels so old army knives and things like that and my i mean my brothers used to play a game where they stood on the lawn and threw the knife at each other's foot i'm not sure this was a game sanctioned by my parents but but my but we lived out in the countryside you were sort of left to your own devices um and yeah, they and they played a game with you, and and one of my brothers did actually spear the other brother in the foot, um, but that was just seen as sort of childhood hijinks. Um, but this is a fairly gruesome story. But yes, we're um, the, the idea of the past. I was so beguiled by the past because I, I, at this point, I had no access to videos of old stories. Uh, your purity could well become insufferable. I think that's an excellent line. And it's one I want to sometimes say to people who preach on Twitter. <laughs> um, uh, and I, Jacqueline Pierce uh, was was a replacement uh, for Elizabeth Spriggs, who plays uh, Tilda or, uh, Tabby uh, in uh, Paradise Towers, who was an estimable actress, a fine Shakespearean actress, but I can't imagine her as Jacini at all. Uh, she's a fine actress. She would have been a very different Jacini. But I think what Jacqueline Pierce has, she has that sort of forlorn sexual longing that she, you know, I can, I certainly buy her as a, because the, the, the Androgams are creatures of, you know, visceral instinct and, and, um, uh, and satisfying of sort of lusty pleasures. Uh, but she's been augmented beyond that. But that, that underlying sort of animal, um, uh, sort of magnetism that 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 she she has a sort of longing about her that's quite sort of forlorn and melancholy uh that i think really works and there is a bit i think i wasn't over the moon about her being in this simply because she reminded me of serverland and i'd seen load of blake seven so i didn't need doctor who to have blake seven in it for it to to be to be uh to be special or to impress my mates or whatever. I was so conscious of impressing my friends. But actually, I, I, I think she's she's terrific in this. And uh, uh, and I think she's terrific in Blake 7. She has a, a wonderful sensuality about her. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm desperately trying to imagine Elizabeth Spriggs playing the part, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can. Um... Would have been very, very different, and I believe that that that, that Jacqueline Pierce was going to be saddled with Elizabeth Spriggs's wig, um, but then that got lost on the way to Spain. So then she was allowed different hair. So that was a happy accident for her, unless, unless she actually she actually found it got. I think it was lost on, on the flight, but uh, unless she uh, hid it. The doctor's still not really in the story. Oh, I suppose he is. I suppose at least they've got the the psychic connection bit where he's felt. Um, anyway. I'm trying to talk about the past. Um, f- for me, anything that had a connection with old Doctor Who was somehow better um, because that was a golden age. And I, I think it's just because it wasn't reachable. And I felt that anything that might, as I say, if I thought that this had two seconds of an actual Troughton story in it, that would automatically have made it. I remember the reason I liked Earthshock was because it had clips from 
three old stories in it. Actually, Earthshock on its own is an absolutely splendid story. And it's nothing to do with that flashback sequence. But but when I was making lists in my head as a kid, Earthshock was the best of that season because it had got bits from old Doctor Who in it. What a, what a self-loathing. I, this, the, stuff that's, the stuff that's present to me can't be as good as the stuff that was around before I was born. Um, what a self-loathing way of behaving towards the show. And that was, that was pretty much... Uh, how I behaved towards the show throughout my lifetime with it, watching it and enjoying it, but always with an, an, an aching sense that I'd somehow missed out on, on what had gone before. Uh, uh, it shows that, that uh, it shows that looking, looking back can sometimes be, well, it is, isn't it? It's very dangerous. All those people who sort of look back at the past as a sort of golden age, uh, and reject anything from the present are largely very unhappy people, and also wrong. You know, there was and never was a golden age, Mike. Um, and I'm glad I've learnt that lesson now. The lighting here is lovely. I think this is this is effective. This dead dead space station stuff. Um, I think that scene with uh, Jamie and uh, Shockeye could have done with that corridor maybe being a bit scored with laser blasts or something because it, it did look like it was sort of almost separate from the from the you know ransacked space station which really needed to look like it had been you know absolutely knackered there should have been perhaps a fire in them in a, in, a, in in you know you, if you did that now you'd have hanging cables you'd have exposed flames and all of that sort of thing it it just looked like it was slightly separate i will never quite get to the bottom of why jamie turns into a a growling beast um i don't know what that says about that's a comment on dear fraser hines so like yeah if we leave you alone for more than a couple of weeks mate you're gonna go feral <laughs> see you need yeah this this suggestion of all this you know destruction uh i think you sort of needed in that that scene of jamie in the corridor um uh but this isn't this is nice uh you know ex exploring you know, after the battle, ooh, bloodstained. Uh, yeah, that's very grim. Um, and I've got to, of course, think of what Matt... Now, Matt's not a fan, you see. So I wonder if he'll identify different things, because I know he's had to watch this specially. Um, uh, you, you know, so I, 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 I doubt he went in with particular things. But he might be much more general than I would be inclined to be. He might just say Patrick Troughton, do you know what I mean? Uh, I, he might say something about Nicola Bryant because he's Matt is many things an intelligent uh, funny charming man who's also quite unreconstructed that's the end of episode one uh, this of course is an old fashioned six parter it threatened the time lords the computer voice is Lawrence Payne uh, I think if I'd been Nicholas Fawcett I'd have been a bit upset that I wasn't chosen to do the computer voice because obviously you're getting an actor that you're already paying for um that you don't have to credit for another part. And Lawrence Payne's already got plenty to do. Um, or Tim Raynham, who plays Val. But anyway, I think Lawrence Payne is an excellent computer voice. And you get more, you're getting more out of one of your star actors. Uh, but when uh, another Doctor Who magazine I remember very well is the one that had the episode guide from this. And I was very cross with it because in the credits it had the Doctor then Perry and then Patrick Troughton got third billing. I was like, I hope he didn't get that in the episode. I hadn't remembered, of course, because uh, I don't like the idea of a companion ever getting credited uh, before the Doctor or the idea that it, the Doctor, the second Doctor, might be guest cast. But he wasn't. He gets second billing in this, and rightly so. Um, uh, 
but uh, the the episode guide in Doctor Who magazine broke the episodes up into um, it, it showed what uh, the episode endings were for I think the American market or certainly some sections of the international market where they were still being broadcast as 25 minutes so obviously these uh, extra long episodes had uh, episode endings imposed upon them and the first one for the two doctors is when the computer goes it threatened the time lords which although it's a sort of incidental part of this it's a it's a bluff that the doctor uh is fed in order to distract from the nefarious plans of the actual uh uh enemies it it, it has a bit of uh time lord conspiracy theory as window dressing throughout the story because rob holmes liked having a go at the time lords as well um, I bet that's Matt's favourite bit, <laughs> where the doctor picks up Perry. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, uh, but that's so. I think that's quite an effective uh, episode ending. Um, as we will discover, they might not all be quite so effective. Now, this this was enough to get Peter Moffat lambasted by fandom. Uh, in that the Sontaran removing his mask is in long shot. It's not even in long shot. It sort of cuts away because he doesn't fully get his mask off in, in the long shot. And the idea that uh, a good director uh, always has the monster remove his mask uh, in close-up, which uh, is, of course, so prescriptive uh, that you, could, you, you that, that doesn't have to be the only way that you do it. But it was enough, was enough to be a sort of byword for Peter Moffat is a bad director because instead of showing off the really expensive, fancy location, uh, he should show off the monster mask because that is what Doctor Who traditionally does um i i don't think you necessarily have to although i am surprised that we didn't get some form of establishment of the sontaran close up at any point um but i i don't think uh you know when we first uh, get to the hacienda uh, that is the time to linger on uh are they the worst Sontaran masks? I think they might be. I think the Sontarans are, are actually creatures that that uh, in classic Doctor Who started with their very, very best design and costume and gradually got worse. I don't know. Uh, I, I may reconsider because I, I I do recall uh, Stike having quite uh, mobile features, but, but certainly I think the collars on these ones are really duff. Uh, and I think Lynx is one of the best monster design and realizations in the Time Warrior uh, in in the whole of Who. Um, and but I remember finding them a bit clattery. Um, I think those collars need to be secure, and they're not. Um, uh, but it's difficult because I haven't quite seen, pardon me, seen the Sontaran yet, because because uh, Peter Moffat was filming where the money had been spent, which was on the Hacienda. I do we care that it's set in Spain? I know it's a great thing for BBC productions, but I also I always think the BBC was always slightly more, uh, you know, because they'd always do a... I remember Only Fools and Horses, didn't they go to Florida for a Christmas special? I think they're always more Im slightly more impressed than I was as a viewer. But geography has never been my thing, so full disclosure. Um, but I, I didn't bother me if it was set in Spain or if it was set in, you know, West West W1 or, you know, Denham. Um did 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 that wasn't the lure for me at all you know the lure for me was Sontarans and Patrick Trout but that's because I'm a nostalgist perhaps the past that's my geography another country i.e the past um but but perhaps for other people I'd be interested to hear if if uh if the fact that it was in Spain actually made any difference to 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 
to people watching at the time, but it, it d didn't really particularly bother me. It didn't didn't strike me as being a particularly different different setting. Do you know what I mean? Uh, to to anywhere else that had that had lots of film work. You know, just outside film work was a was enough to make some Doctor Who seem different. Um, and I remember particularly Lan you know Lanzarotti. The fact that Lanzarotti and Planet of Fire is Lanzarotti and San just seemed to me a bit too obvious. But that, anyway, we'll talk about that when we get to Planet of Fire. Uh, all this sort of stuff about the, the, the Time Lords being being bad guys and, it, and the Doctor sort of believing it might be possible but hoping it isn't uh, adds to sort of some nice, a nice layer of sort of conspiracy uh, to it. Um and and the idea that the the time lords might be up to no good, uh, I, I I think has is quite a nice cynical backdrop for Doctor. Who. Uh, Robert Holmes is very good at sort of broadening things out so that they have repercussions to worlds that we don't see. Um, and and he's got and and this and I love I love a lot of his his dialogue that he he you know he dispenses little bits of texture so very cleverly. I also think there's some dialogue in this I'm. Some of the the bantery dialogue I don't I, I I'm not wild about, but the sort of has the Calgesic worn off and all those are, and us yes our our races have grown tired and defeat our seed is thin. There's a lot of bits like that I like and the the uh, uh, I'm sure you could augment uh, an earwig to the point where it understood nuclear physics, but it would still be a very stupid thing to do. He writes he writes some nice stuff for Troughton. Um and Troughton does that stuff so well. It's, it's that sense, slight sense of desperation that he has about it, sort of ch ch childish desperation that he has, uh, that is so good. Um, but Colin, you know, Colin Baker was was very much my doctor. I was, although I, uh, you know, struggled with the present. Uh, I and I'd not liked Peter Davison, who I love now, one of my favourite doctors. He wasn't Tom Baker, who had been my doctor. So when Colin Baker came and wasn't Peter Davison, uh, I was a great fan, and I quite I liked his testiness, um, and I, th I I think he's got an edge to him as a doctor, um, and I and I think. Oh, you know, obviously the work he's done for Big Finish is so good because, uh, uh, and I, I actually liked the costume at the time. I, I, I'm now not not such a uh, a fan. I think it it it's, smacks a little bit of desperation, and it looks like a costume. I think you could have the same. Well, because it's in such good nick as well, um, because it's at a time when, you know, it looks like it looks like a BBC Light Ent production in in places. Um, and, and when the doctor is the one that's screaming light ent, I think we are in a bit of a bit of trouble. And that's just about the look and the pristine nature of that costume. If it had been perhaps a bit dirted up and broken down, uh, and, and sort of so melded into the background just a little bit. But I, but as I say, I liked it at the time. Um, Amy Delamain, she's very convincingly Spanish. She's not. She was. She played. I mean, she played old ladies all the time, didn't she? She's one of those people who played old ladies forever. Um, she imagined her being born an old lady. Gosh, I bet she was. I'm sure she was probably born in the previous century, was she? Or uh, maybe not. No, maybe not. Um, but I think uh, in the brief couple of lines she's got, I wonder if they saw, if they considered Patsy Smart, the ghoul from uh, Talons of Wayne Chiang for this part as well, because I suspect there was just a handful of old ladies who, who cat fought for the various old lady parts going. Uh, but I think, she, I think she, I think 
You are English? Yeah, I like the way she does her brief little bit. And, uh, and of course, he has to kill her and she has to die without making an old lady do a stunt fall. And I think that's done, that's done pretty well. Uh, I remember watching this with some friends. They went, what, he killed her like that? Like, well, she said, well, you can't chuck her against a wall. She's an old lady. And I like the little bits of sort of butchery uh, paralysis stuff that uh, that Shokai dispenses upon the animals, i.e. the humans. Um, uh, and he's, I'm assuming they're going to, oh, they don't cut away for a while. <laughs> but I like the whole thing of uh, John Stratton's body language and the way he wipes his hand on his protruding stomach. Um, uh, ah, Jay Andrigam. Uh, no, Jay McGrath as dead Andrigam. Now I'm remembering this. Fernand Monaster scientist. Haven't looked any of this up. This is in my head. Uh, dead Andrigam on your. I think Jay McGrath was an extra in other stuff as well. But uh, that, that's a few of the the sort of walk on actors were credited in that episode guide, and they have stayed in my head. Uh, I don't know much else about Jay McGrath, but I. Uh, Hope he was happy then, and if he's still alive now, he's happy now. Fernand Monast, I did have to look up something because I think somebody was trying to identify some of the extras from from Black Orchid, I think. Uh, and I think he was in an episode of Dempsey and Makepeace or something that I tracked down, and he'd got a couple of lines in that he gets a credit in. I think it might have been Dempsey and Makepeace uh, in order to help somebody identify him and i can't remember why it was now because this happens to me i get messages from people go do you know anything about these actors slash extras uh because i'm trying to identify who is who with something uh i'm 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 the unpaid actors advisor of the doctor who universe um <laughs> and I, it distracts me from doing the sort of work i should do to earn a living but uh i i do quite like it when i get sent a challenge going do you know what happened to this guy um, and sometimes I know, and sometimes I've got a, a little bit of a head start, and sometimes I don't know, but uh, but I have a bash, um, and quite enjoy it. I like the archaeology, but I particularly like finding out about the people, partially because I, I I'm envious of anybody that's uh, that's uh, spent a time time on set in an episode of Doctor Who. I, I, it's interesting because I do like the Spanish setting now. It does give it a uh, a, a different feel and I think you know Peter Moffat gets a lot of stick but I know he he went ahead of schedule uh, and so some scenes that originally set inside are set outside and of course if they're set outside the scenes do look so much better um, and, and they get a little bit of an extra edge and I, uh, I, I I like these two guys hanging around in Spain um, I'm I, I I actually I love these guest characters um uh, and the the Andrigam's interesting though, and I wonder because because Matt uh, he alluded to the fact that he talks he teaches people doesn't he about cultural differences and things like that. I wonder how he will take the idea that the Andrigams are predisposed to only be creatures of lust and pleasure, and that that the idea you might augment one with uh, superior intelligence is is a bad thing. How do we how do we take that? Obviously. In, in a show like Doctor Who, having an alien race that has a particular quality is what defines them as an alien race. The Sontarans are warlike, and that helps to tell the story and, and perhaps satirise a particular element of humanity because the aliens are a distillation of that particular thing you wish to examine about ourselves. But it does mean, therefore, that alien races 
aren't as diverse as say you know there are some warlike humans but not all because they're from one country for example there are uh, uh, you know lustful humans but not not because they're all from one country it's a it's it's a trait that goes through a personality type rather than a racial or a species type so uh, you know i am I'm, I'm interested how we feel about i don't mind because i I, I like the fact that the Andragums are a vessel with which to uh, examine uh, the idea of, you know, um, gluttony and to, to to turn the tables on us and find us, uh, you know, the, the, the foodstuff of desire. Uh, and and for, for sh- the way that Shokai talks about us as livestock, I think is a is a witty is a witty joke um uh although this does have its livestock and eats it in terms of it's it's a story about how disgusting uh, uh gluttony uh is that also is uh, port- uh, 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 uh that that also you, you know uh, is is pretty gruesome in its uh in its execution uh uh, you know, yes, it, it you know it extols the virtues of vegetarianism whilst um, reveling in uh, you know meaty murder, um, and I I know a couple of you know very smart, clever writer people who think this is a terrible script, which is interesting because I've always had a soft spot for I've always liked it I will you know it's I'm not going to struggle to find things that I like about the two doctors and yet I can completely understand anybody that has a problem with it um you know there's there's absolutely no need for all this guff with the the doctor and 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 Perry and in in and yet another variation of the ventilation stuff you know we're we're waiting for the for the main characters to get involved in the story uh, as i've said it is slightly hypocritical in that it's a it's a it's a call to arms for vegetarianism that revels in its uh, in its own excesses uh and and it does have you know a a, a few tonally questionable things uh, that we will talk about when we get to them. I don't want to anticipate one. I'm in two minds about one of them. I'm in absolutely one condemnatory mind about the other. Um, and yet, uh, I find I find the action of this quite enjoyable. I find the grotesqueness of it quite enjoyable. Um, I, I like the sort of black comedy of it. Uh, and... Uh, and actually, I, I found, as a youth because Doctor Who was starting to be seen as sort of a bit cheap and a bit quaint, when Doctor Who was, to, to, to coin, to, to, to echo a, a phrase that was soon to be used about it by one of its bosses, violent and unimaginative, that the violence to me was grown up. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That violence was seen as as, as grown up, but it was, it was what, it combated the low budget uh, for me. It combated the fact that you couldn't have... Um, uh, stuff that you had in more adult things um so so when it was sort of quite grim and people died and particularly if they bled or exploded um that that to me was you know this was the stuff um i i adore oscar and anita i adore anita i i mean i would i would run away with anita um i love her accent she, didn't she say of the Don Joanna, she is old and has white hair uh, i i uh, I, I think Carmen Gomez is 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 
is is very winning and i love james saxon who was pretty much my age i think when he died not long after the dvd of this came out uh now this is a scene the one between uh shock iron val that was supposed to be done indoors um i love the way sort of you almost he's almost got the shakes um yeah look at how he's, he's he shakes with sort of sensual pleasure but he's obviously he's obviously riddled with all sorts of diseases shock eye uh and i love the way he sort of spits out the the watermelon and calls it insipid filth and watermelons are slightly disappointing and full of pips uh they, they do have a beautiful underlying flavor um i don't think they're the best designed of things but i i i i love I, I just adore what John Stratton does with Shot Shock. I totally buy him as a, as both a butcher, but as also as somebody who appreciates food, but also is a glutton with food. Uh, you know, fancies himself as a as a gourmand, but he's actually a pig. And I and I think that there is that you know that's the fine line, isn't it, between somebody who appreciates food and somebody who's just greedy. Uh, and I and I think he captures all of that whilst being a sort of believable alien rogue. Um, I'm I'm enjoying John Stratton more and more as I talk about him. Um, and I love James Saxon. That's what I I think I wanted to. You know, I I I'm. It, it only sort of slightly hit me that Oscar was an as an actor. I was so you know, bear in mind I was ten, eleven when this was on. Um, so I probably noticed at the at the time, but then I sort of forgotten as it was broadcast and it became a memory. And, and when it came back again, it it was clearer to me that you know that 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 Oscar's an actor, and I and it, and he is and he is the sort of. He's he's very much how actors are played on on television by actors. Even though I'm not sure I know any actors that are totally like him, or or do I? But I I I do adore uh, uh, Oscar because he he allows Robert Holmes to give him some uh, brilliant lines. And I do, is that in this episode where have I just been talking through it? Where he says, "Oh, I, I you know I love these." But she says, "Well, why do you kill them then?" <laughs> which I think is which. But again, that that captures that uh uh the the contradiction between uh you, you know somebody who appreciates things but also de de destroys them and and treats them very very badly um uh, uh and of course he's, he's really largely there to provide uh the means for uh, one of the questionable things that happens later but i'm not going to get ahead of myself now as we're getting to the end of this episode um well this is jamie's house yeah fraser this is what you'll do when you <laughs> uh when, when, when you've just been left with nobody to talk to you'll somehow throw away your kilt uh and dress as a garage mechanic uh who starts dribbling and forgets how to talk um uh and of course perry gets ravished and and uh Colin always does that sort of getting knocked unconscious sort of acting and all the sort of sci-fi stuff. He always does that very well. Um, and <laughs> Fraser's wrapping himself around Nicola Bryant there. <laughs> um, so that's the end of episode one of The Two Doctors. I love that. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think it, uh, it treats... Um, Oh, Amy Delamay gets fourth. That's very interesting. Oh, because that's the only place she'll fit because of the other pairings. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, the, it struggles again to fit uh, 
fit the Doctor and Perry in. They are they are sort of slowly getting to the story. John Walker, excellent film cameraman. He had a good time with Doc Two because he was the film cameraman on City of Death as well. Um, and he was the film camera assistant on uh, Abominable Snowmen. So he got to go to all the foreign locations, Spain, France, and Wales. Um, uh, so, uh, no, Tony Burrow. Uh, no, his brother was an actor called John Darrell, who I worked with. But uh, T- Tony Burrow is an Oscar-nominated uh, uh, designer, uh, designed uh, quite a lot of sets, Doctor, in the 80s. And is interviewed in the... Uh, I'm just going to pause that. Interviewed in the 20th anniversary uh, Radio Time special, but has not contributed to the DVD or Blu-ray range, which I think is something it would be nice to uh, readdress because he got uh, an Oscar nomination for uh, Ian McKellen's Richard III and a very good set designer. Anyway, this is all the sort of stuff to be saying when the episode is on. Uh, now, I'm assume I think I told Matt to choose two things about each episode and then a bonus at the end. So I've got to choose two favourite things about uh, episode one of The Two Doctors. Well, the first, I think, he's not going to choose this. I'm I'm sure he's going to say something about... He's going to, like, Perry's top or something. He's going to try and rile me with something unreconstructed, Matt. I may be doing him a misservice, a disservice, and he may come across as an absolute gentleman, but scratch the surface. Um, I... I, I sontar and attack. I like, and I think if I get any, if he does any of these things, I'll take it. I like that that sequence from from the technician getting zapped, the economy of that, the scientist rushing in, and the zap of the laser beam. But particularly, uh, I think that the, that sontar and theme, dum 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 dum. dum, dum. Dum, dum, uh, which which is militaristic, but it's also dramatic. I just like that. I like the attack on the base, which, and again, with a, with a modern day Doctor Who budget, you'd have loads of explosions. You've had you'd you'd have the ships coming in uh, in a in a in a big old model shot, and you'd you'd have various people getting slain, and uh, you know probably more aliens and all that sort of thing. But it was told it's told with great economy. It's it's done under. You know, it's done how you did Doctor Who then, uh, and I still think it's it's really dramatic and exciting. Although I think Fraser should run slightly faster. Uh, that's all. That's because you could say sort of go. I can't run too fast because the set's going to come to an end. Um, and and I think I've got to choose. And I don't think coming into this, I was going to choose this, but I, uh, maybe not at, at this stage. But I think John Stratton is so good uh so that so the whole sort of concept of the andrigams and and and, and you know as their sole representative because because uh jacqueline pierce is technologically augmented uh and i just think the way uh that he plays it as a sort of s- slightly uh sort of scabrous pirate it's like he's got yeah it's it's like he's sort of got scurvy uh and and he's that that sort of slight shake that he has and 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 the way that he uses his hands and i even like the way he he sort of flourishes his knife uh when when they go into the kitchen um 
and the the uh, that he gives. Uh, I think John Stratton is glorious, and I think I've, I mean I think all of the cast uh, are glorious. Um, and I know I have to avoid the temptation of just picking out the guest cast because I know things about them and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. But I think I think everything that John Stratton embodies a shock eye, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of how important it is to the story because of what the androgams are. I think he he nails them as a species and as their sole sort of full representative. Um, I think he does sterling work and it's a glorious performance of the type you can only get in Doctor Who. So I do like the face-off between between Troughton and uh, and Lawrence Payne as well, Dastari. Um, I do like that, that back and forth that they have. Um, but I'll go for... Sontaran attack, it's like incidental music, all of that, and and John Stratton's shock eye, uh, as my two favourite things of episode one. What has my dear friend Matt Hayden chosen? So I hope you enjoyed episode one. Um, oh goodness, it's getting getting warm in here. I think someone must be putting the heating up. Um, Oh, it really is getting getting warm. I won't go as far as I hoped Perry would go when I was 19. Uh, in episode one, so many things to pick from, but I particularly like the fact that they dived straight in with the second Doctor. Uh, no explanation, just go straight in with him. I do wonder whether that might have been some confusing for some younger viewers, but I love the boldness of just going with that. And the other uh, choice was, I love actors doing a bit of business. And I love um, Colin Baker's business with the Gumblejack. Although, is that a Gumblejack? I'm not quite clear. I think he's failed to catch a Gumblejack, hasn't he? But you can tell me that. And uh, Jamie's nifty little act with a scheme do. Uh, I think actors enjoy doing a bit of business. And those two chaps do a terrific job. So those are my two choices for episode one of the two doctors ah i like that now he called james did was that james night because i know that is a dirk uh which is in his uh which is in his uh 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 it's in his sock isn't it and uh i'm sure it's in the novelization of tomb of the cybermen or one of those that i was very impressed that J jamie had a knife sequestered about his person because uh you know he could he could wield that in times of peril i like the idea that the companion could act uh, of his own accord he called it a scheme do did he matt i'm gonna look that up later i'll learn something um and i yes well i picked i enjoyed colin's uh business with the fish and i do think it's a and it's you're right i think it's not a gumblejack is he was aiming for a gumblejack or maybe it's a small gumblejack but uh yeah i i thought that was was nifty and yeah i i had i thought about it i might have chosen with going for for opening with troughton but i've i've I felt that was perhaps me of the past because, um, yes, of course you open with the old stuff, the old people, because they're the best. But uh, actually, I love Colin Baker as well. So um, I think perhaps, uh, you know, the older Wisebeak as well, you know, it, 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 I actually think it's probably, I think it, it, it's it's at, at the incumbent doctor's expense. And I'm not sure if that's wise, interestingly, uh, in retrospect. I, I wonder if actually the current doctor should take the lead um uh, especially in a season where there are other stories where um you know he is ill served so maybe that prevented me from choosing 
um, the fact that it opens in the first you know 10 minutes are with the old doctor who I absolutely adore and uh, can't get enough of and I love all those scenes uh, with him and and his rapport with uh, with Jamie which has you know picked up where they left off I love those two together so that, perhaps that's what stopped me choosing it but I'm certainly happy as a viewer without you know these mental gymnastics that we do to go to, to watch it and enjoy I love I love the first 15 minutes of the story that that uh, that are you know that are a Trout and Jamie on colour adventures together. Um, so, yeah, good choices both, but neither of them, both things I highlighted, but neither things I actually chose, although I will get points if uh, Matt chooses the Sontaran theme and or Shock Eye for later episodes because that's how it works, I think. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, thanks to Matt. Thanks to you uh, for listening. Uh, I'm going to um, uh, turn off all the lights and activate the uh, security system that for some reason is in my ventilation shaft, should anybody be crawling about in there. Or, in fact, any of my friends that I haven't spoken to for a couple of weeks have gone feral and turned into savage ventilation shaft dwelling beasts. <laughs> Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're hungry for more delights from the Doctor Who story, The Two Doctors. We have on the menu the thoughts of my good friend Matt Hayden, uh, who isn't uh, known to Doctor Who fandom. He's uh, just a chum of mine. Uh, nothing just about that. Um, uh, and also one of those delightful people you meet in life who Matt is very knowledgeable about a lot of things. So even though he's not a Doctor Who fan, he could still name doctors and stories. And, you know, he's the sort of guy that can spot Ronald Rad from 20 paces without, uh, as I say, considering himself a, uh, an expert because he also knows about... Well, no, he's a movie buff. Sure, he's a movie buff. So, um, But he knows about lots of other things as well. But yeah. He knows enough about Doctor Who uh, without uh, ever feeling the need to buy a DVD or anything. So um, he said he fancied doing The Two Doctors, which I'm very happy about because there's not enough Colin Baker love in Happy Times and Places at the moment. Uh, I've had a few few more. A lot of them have been claimed now, to go out, but, uh, but actually nobody else has, has recorded their thoughts bar Emma Reeves, who did Time Lash really early on in the process. And, uh, and now Matt with the two doctors. So let's see what is in store with episode two. So you see, I've just turned up the. Uh, I love this music. I love this music, and that the music is on the DVD menu. Uh, but I'm going to have to go to episode selection because we're for episode two or part two to give it its correct nomenclature. And I'm going to press select in three, two, one. Go. Worked first time. But of course, there's a pause. So, as the Starfield kicks in, uh, well, thanks uh, for listening to this. Uh, I do like, I like the two doctors. Um, I think I was always going to be predisposed to like it. Uh, I'm sure I mentioned in the last episode, which uh, I recorded a while ago. Sorry, there's been a, a gap between recordings. Uh, probably a longer gap between recordings than uh, between you listening because um, you get one a week. Uh, but I was predisposed to like this because it had old stuff in it. I'm curious about the past. I listened to... Uh, I listened to... Um, 
a Fleetwood Mac song that just came on the radio the other day and it reminded me it was one of the few tapes I had my friend Duncan did it for me on cassette uh, and uh, and it reminded me of my teenage years which weren't necessarily particularly happy because they were full of all those teenage worries and I wasn't terribly happy at home but I had Doctor Who as an island but I I think I did feel a sort of thrill of potential of those though because there's something very alive about being a teenager and that you know crossing over into the threshold of being an adult when you can decide the things that you want to do and you you suddenly don't have to do as you're told all of the time and the feel that one was on the cusp of that whilst still living at home I remember being very exciting uh but how old was I one and 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 listening to that piece of music I suddenly got very emotional I got very teary um the past the past is a curious place where it's a sort of safe refuge because we know we got through it but also we we miss it because it's gone and I think I look back now and wish I'd tried to be happier um uh because actually you know adulthood is not just about doing what you want through so many other different pressures that you have to be and actually you're never freer than when you're a teenager free of responsibilities and I wish I didn't perhaps Perhaps enjoy. I did enjoy my teenage years. Well, it was a mixture of joy and angst, which is very much what watching Doctor Who was like uh, during this period. Um, I, uh, I, um, I, you know, I, I loved Doctor Who, but was also very aware that it, it wasn't as good as it used to be. Uh, whereas, of course, now um, I, I view this era the same as any other. Uh, there are there are highs and lows. There are bits I like about each story and bits I don't. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, I've not quite got to grips with is why Jamie Jamie has dressed as a garage mechanic and and turned into a um, I mean whatever he was trying to do to Perry there. It's amazing how sort of casually um, abusing abusing young women well certainly poor old perry she goes through it uh, is sort of thrown thrown around as random jeopardy in this but it was pretty was pretty i remember my sister sort of i think i think looking slightly askance at the way that uh, we didn't know it was jamie at the time but the the feral creature wrapped its leg around perry uh, in a certain way i always thought these things were good the way that again uh, uh, matt um mentioned uh colin's uh uh, sort of grappling with the gumblejack uh, and, and convincing you that it was life. The way he applied those things, which I assume are a reverse needle, it's an old trick, the needle goes back into the shaft, but the way they stick to his neck and the needle goes in, I was, I, they looked real to me and I sort of, I, even though I knew that they couldn't be, it's just a nice little touch when Doctor Who pays attention to the little details. I remember Russell T Davis on the commentary of Army of Ghosts talking about not being happy with a particular button and they had to uh, on the on the you know on the ghosty machine thing that the doctor made that they actually went back and and did little reshoots for the close-ups of the buttons and that sort of attention to detail is breathtakingly uh impressive and uh, you know indicative of um his uh his his grasp of of how the show works and how the show sometimes it exists in the the minutiae and you 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 carry on you you carry off a little moment like that and you just help to sell the dream and you foul up a little moment like that and uh and it can make the 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 cynics or the or the the the, the suspension of disbelief um uh more difficult it can, it can arm the cynics those predisposed to to not like this stuff um 
but but I, I nonetheless I I do feel that Jamie is perhaps a trifle more sophisticated this time on the TARDIS than to uh, than to turn into whatever it is he turns into for the sake of the cliffhanger. Um, because there's no other explanation other than he's been left alone for a bit on a space station, so, so he gets changed, uh, uh, and and as I say, the first thing he thinks to do is uh, try to molest the first person that comes along, who typically, of course, is Perry, um, uh, for whom seemingly molestation was uh, was part of the job description when she uh, signed up for Companion College. Um, anyway. A uh, mixed metaphor then, really. Going to college isn't a job, is it? So, well, look, this is all off the top of my head. I'm so sorry. Um, and and I have to say that I think the story is sort of at its least interesting in these, in these. Well, they're not ventilation shafts, are they? They're massive, whatever they are. This infrastructure. Um, but I remember not not minding at the time because just just Jamie being there was exciting enough he was a link to the past and I remember feeling so lucky that we got Fraser Hines because he's only in the five doctors for for a moment and it was like oh well now now they've they've actually they've they've got him um uh, and I have to say Fraser throws himself into any Doctor Who uh, event with gusto and I, I and I think there's lots of lovely little moments he has in this story and look at that it's coming out again I think that is a lovely lovely and oh and it pulls at his skin I think those uh little sticky injection things are absolutely fabulous um they might actually go on my list of things that are the best things about the story um and that's not because I'm damning with faint praise because there's lots I like about this um she looks like she's wearing psychedelic tinfoil does uh, poor old Perry uh, it's a good job they're not going somewhere really hot where she can bake uh, Oscar and Anita uh, I, 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 I do like Oscar and James Saxon I, I don't think there are enough out of work actors in Doctor Who well there's lots of out of work actors in Doctor Who but uh, obviously they're not out of work when they're in Doctor Who but I, 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 I think, I, I think I mentioned last time. Oscar is like you hope actors are, but actually most actors aren't. Um, you know, act, I used to think that the profession was, you know, had had, you, you know, it's always it, it's always describes people being, you know, having having particular um, uh, uh, propensity for squabbling or. Um, vanity and all of the and 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 backstabbing and all of those things and it's you know it's only when my mum came home from working in a staff room or my sister you know worked for a charity and you actually discover those sorts of characters are are, are in every single workplace um it's just that uh, people are interested in what actors do so they they hear about it more so i think actors get a, an, an unfairly bad reputation um i like the company of actors it's one of the things that made me want to be an actor not so much the work as the as the company, uh, whiling away the hours, drinking and smoking, neither of things I'm allowed to do anymore. <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, you actually realise that, uh, as I say, that uh, that, that, that uh, actors are no different to, to, to anybody else. Um, perhaps perhaps they, just know, they just know a few more stories about uh, backstage shenanigans or, or 
or, or, or programs that you like. So that's why I like them, because I like what they're talking about. Um, but I felt it was a really curious thing, that 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 sort of happy, sad, melancholy, no, nostalgia frisson that I got from just from a song that reminded me of the... And I could feel the warmth. We had a kitchen with an arga. So I stayed in the kitchen because that was the warmest part of this old cold house we lived in. And I can the, the cassette tape on the on the on the tape deck that I had that had been, that had been my birthday present, um, and I haven't listened to that music for ages. And I suppose I don't get it quite the same with Doctor Who because I watching this now. All I can remember watching my my bootleg VHS because I took all my videos with me to university. I had a trunk with all my Doctor Who's on, so I you know I kept watching this. You know I don't, I don't necessarily associate this with a particular time when it was first on, although I can, as I say, I can remember watching it in the sitting room at, the, at my house when I was a, a kid. And actually, my mum broke a cardinal rule. I was uh, I was always allowed to watch Doctor Who. That was that was sort of taken as read. Doctor Who is my thing. But I'm, she must have been in a bad mood with me or something because and I think it might have been this episode. It's when Patrick Troughton's being uh, uh, interrogated by Stike. I think... She came in and told me I had to move my shoes from the hall, and it was like, well, c can I not just wait till Doctor Who's finished? No, you have to do it now. So I actually missed a tiny bit of the episode because I had to do a thing that she was annoyed about. And I remember thinking that was unusual because actually, um, watching Doctor Who was, you, you know, was the was the one thing that I was sort of allowed to do. Uh, this is oh, Colin has a speech. Uh, I think they, uh, I think they should have given Colin a few more speeches he's very good at this uh whim whimsical's wrong with melancholy whimsicolly <laughs> uh sort of monologues uh that he does very well um and he's very good at the action too and, and, and keeping the pacing up and the, the sort of peeved panic that he does um ah uh, now he's seeing everybody it's a trap it's not true all the deaths were fake um, but that's a quite a nice little. Uh, that's quite a nice little um, plot sleight of hand, uh, or or that gives the doctor the clue to the next bit. Um, no, he's not Jamie McCrimmon. <laughs> yes, he is. Lovely. And I like the fact because I think I'm sure Colin and Fraser get on because they, they're they I would say their actors cut from a similar cloth. Um, uh, and I, and so I think they bounce off each other rather nicely, uh, which I like because I like the idea that a a modern doctor likes an old companion, and that that affection still lingers in future, future generations. I think that's very important. I remember getting very cross with Peter Davison at the end of the Five Doctors, saying, "I'm certainly not the man I was." Thank goodness. Going, how dare you? How dare you be rude about the past? Why is that so, the past is so? I, I, I got a message from a Doctor Who fan, a young Doctor Who fan um, I talked to on Facebook, who's been to see my show and things. He was talking about, he still held, he still holds sort of upset at, at, at the people who bullied him at the, in the past for liking Doctor Who, because it's an easy, uh, an easy target, isn't it? Um, especially when nobody's watching it. <laughs> a plot. <laughs> well done, Fraser. That's very funny. Uh, <laughs> he's, I love the little touches that that fraser hines gives to jamie i'm sort of going he's a bit thick but he, yeah. 
It's delightful. Uh, and, he, and he judges it perfectly. I think it's pitched perfectly. <laughs> um, and and this this young this young friend of mine is still so upset about you know the, the un- injustice of people using his Doctor Who fandom to bully him. And I see people online sort of you know bullying people or, or being mean about people for the way that they like Doctor Who, whether it's a whether it's a modern fan who gets a bit carried away about the particular things that have upset them, which modern fans seem to do. And that's fine. That's fine. I think being sensitive, there's nothing wrong with being sensitive. Um, and I think it all comes from, uh, I think it slightly overcompensates, but it all comes from a desire for the world to be a better place. Um, but, but my main sort of thing is, why do you care what anybody thinks about what you think about Doctor Who? Um, and for my young friend, it was, was because he was still sort of holding on to what people did in the past and the injustice. Well, the injustice only exists if you give it power. Uh, and those people that were bullying him have probably forgotten. Um, so the past... So it's interesting because because this, because Patrick Troughton, here he is, was in it, was somehow better, a better version of One Doctor because it had got an old thing in it. Well, that's fruitless as well to try and to try and recapture the past and say, well, if only we could get back to there. And and it, it blinded me to what was what was great about this. Oh, I mean, I still liked Colin Baker, but it, it was somehow it was some, this was somehow given more gloss because it was from the old days, which I hadn't seen, so I didn't even know. Uh, that they were better, but because I couldn't see them, that and because they weren't associated with me and my time, and that's that's dangerous folly. But we do that, don't we? We look back to a, a golden age politically, anything, um, and I I think that's I think that's very very foolish, and and also you know bad things from the past are only given power if you let them affect you, uh, and certainly what other people think of Doctor Who, I don't care. No offence, but I don't care what you think about Doctor Who. Uh, we can have a lovely chat about it, of course, but I don't. Uh, but um, I'm perfectly secure in my love for Doctor Who and what I love about it. It's fine, uh, and the things I don't love about it, I don't. I don't mind because they're part of a greater whole. Do like this music? Uh, I, I don't think I can vote for the music because I've because I think that was all part of the package of what I liked about the last one. Um, I don't, however, like the Sontaran costumes. Uh, Lynx had tight-fitting leather. Look at this. I mean, I know it's not tinsley, but it looks it looks like it's slightly... It's not shiny in the way that leather is shiny, like Lynx's leather is shiny. It's it's slightly more showbiz shiny. It's slightly more like it could be on the catwalk with catwalk with in a light end show with with Colin Baker's uh, costume. It's it's. Uh, I, it's, I mean, I'm glad. It's, I'm almost glad the Sontarans never appeared in Doctor Who again uh, in the classic series because they get gradually worse uh, as they appear and taller. Clinton Grain's about to come uh, as Stike, and he's a giant, nasty, brutish, and short. They're supposed to be, and I think they they recapture the shortness in the modern series very well. So presumably, if they'd appeared again, they'd have had even worse masks, really, really rattly uh, neck armor. Uh, and they'd be played by Andre the Giant and Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, oh, he would. Oh my God, um, oh, he'd, be, he'd be very good as one of the gentlemen in uh, Buffy, wouldn't he? Um, I do like these characters. I think the dynamic between Dastari, the the scientist, um, Jacqueline Pierce, who I I sort of took for granted because she was Servalan, and I uh, and it's 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 only sort of considering her and watching her performance now and I think the last time I watched it 
I remember going, oh, she's she's actually really good. And and if you take away from the fact that she's Serverland, so so this performance was quite familiar to me because just because of her vocal patterns and her poise and, and that sort of that longing, that forlorn, sensual longing that she puts into everything. Um, you sort of go, oh, well, I've seen this because I've seen Serverland. But actually within within the confines of this being in a Doctor Who, I think she gives an excellent performance. Uh, John Stratton, good for you. Go with gusto. Chewing, I think, damsons out of the neck of a rat. Uh, and I love the way he does the sort of... The sort of shit he really is, and there's the slight limp that he's got, and he's he's just a horrible, horrible thing, isn't he? But I I buy him to in the way that he's sort of caressing the 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 body and uh, and and can you oh can you see the lump in his chest there? That's his I think that's his is it Benson Hedges or Marlborough? I can't remember what he spoke, but that's his fags and his lighter uh, that he would never have too far. Yeah, I love the way he spits there. But yeah, he was. Uh, uh, he was a chain smoker, I believe. I mean, God, he was only sixty-five when he died. That's, uh, uh, but he, but yeah, he wouldn't be too far away from his cigarettes. So that's why he's got stuffed down the front of his shirt. I love him. I was I wrote to him, but I wrote to him care of his agent, and I don't know if it was ever ever passed on. But I never heard back because uh, yes, he was Captain Potter in Quatermass in the Pit, the romantic lead, the young hero. And here he is as a. <laughs> So what, Quatermass of the Pit was 58, 59, 69, 79. So it's, tw- yeah, 25, 26 years later. Um, but it seemed like, I mean, the gulf between those two things seemed extraordinary. Quatermass of the Pit was the hallowed days of black and white, unreachable, you know, uh, fusty, ancient. And this was, you know, modern, colourful Doctor This This is probably 85, 95, 2005. This is further away now than Quatermass and the Pit was when this was on. Oh my goodness, that makes me feel ancient. Um, this can't be as old as Quatermass and the Pit. Oh God! I mean, it was like honestly, like another world that was that was only inhabited by ghosts. And it was really weird because my assumption when I was writing to Quatermass people that was most people were dead. Um, because the leads were and everything like that, so you assumed. And, and John Stratton was one of the few alive, actually. Well, at the time, I was writing to people in the late 80s. Loads of people were still alive from Quatermass and the Pit, and I now wish I'd written to all of them. Uh, um, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, encountering a few, but antediluvian fogey, that's a nice line. Antediluvian is good. But I don't like this bit at all. Sorry, if anything happens to myself, I do wish you'd stop mixing personal pronouns, says Perry, as if that's something he's been doing all of the time. It's a really bad sort of sitcom line that Nicola Bryant does her best with, but it's I, I, I would have uh, I'd have lost that in the edit myself. It, it, the actors do their best, but it's it's not a good piece of writing. Um, so I know I'm supposed to accentuate the positive and I do like the majority of this, but uh, I don't like that bit. One of the animode group, yes, I like the way that Patrick Troughton does that. He's just recovering, and oh, Lawrence Payne has such dignity, doesn't he? Um, ah, and here we have what's what's John Stratton eating now? Oh, he's got a big bone. <laughs> he's having a whale of a time, and I adore him. Uh, oh, I wish I'd had the pleasure. Um, uh, I, I asked Colin about him, and Colin said that he was a nice man. Uh, who was really happy to be in Doctor Who, so that's nice. 
and Colin was a big fan of Colin Baker was a big fan of Quatermass in the Pit when he was a kid. Um, uh, this so this is Clinton Grain as Field Major Stike, who uh, Field Marshal Stike, um, who I think is excellent. Now I used to hate the mouse. There's a poster of Stike in one of the Doc Two magazines, and and it sort of it seemed to me to emphasise how he's slightly lopsided, and now his mouth is a is is a inflexible thing but actually again the last time i watched this even though the lips don't move in the way that kevin Lindsay's lips move so brilliantly as links and it seems to be part of the same face i actually think the lips aren't bad even though the lips of the mask don't move at all and it's the made-up lips underneath i i, I had ex been expecting to 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 not think they were any good but actually it's a it's a good melding and i think you get a great performance from clinton grain's eyes but i do think the mask isn't as flexible or as good or as organic as that original links now i know um i'm comparing it to one of the best doctor who mask slash makeup slash costumes ever which i think links is but it does seem a bit mad that these things went downhill you know that what 13 years later they can't do it as well as they as they once did and it's yeah and it's just the loose, the loose fitting of the costume. What, what, that, that again, that links is so c compact and so he he looks like a, a military unit. They they you know that yeah the fact that the costume is a bit rumpled it just just seems wrong. Um, I mean I I find it amusing now that every monster costume has to be this sort of ribbed uh, latex where you can you know you, the, the costume itself has ribs uh, and 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 they're of a particular type which i'm sure will date in 20 years time but at least they fit do you know what i mean at least they they and i think in clinging and being tight they compact they they do the job they are supposed to be doing uh oh and and, and isn't this isn't this one of the false cliffhangers I th oh, is, does he say surely you are joshing us, officer, as well? I like joshing. Uh, now, I've got a feeling this is the cliffhanger. When she says, of course, this way, I think that's the false cliffhanger uh, in the American version when they split the episode in half. Um, I'm sure in Doctor Magazine it says, you know, if, if, yes, um, uh, the Doctor asks if they could show them, and Anita says, yes, it's this way. And you go, that's because it's 25 minutes in or whatever, 22 and a half minutes in. <laughs> oh, I bet they, I bet you were glued to your seats, America. Shepton Mallet throughout the hall. Mandanek gun, was it? No. Oh, no, it was, it was uh, Sylvia Coleridge, wasn't it? It was Emilio uh, uh, Ducat, Mandanek gun at Folkestone. Uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, Shepton Mallet. It's just the the sound. Shepton Mallet sounds so uh, sort of beautifully parochial. It is sometimes giving a British place name can have a certain sort of tawdry charm. Shepton Mallet. Uh, I've never been no no offend, no apologies to anybody from Shepton Mallet. But the, there's a brilliant bit in the office where uh, where uh, Ricky Gervais's David Brent is talking about places and he, he and that's said in slough which in, in itself has an onomatopoeic sort of t dowdiness about it but uh, he talks about winners winners the way that he pronounces it as well it's great how just a place name uh c c with a certain emphasis can be so so funny and evocative and actually of course the meaning of lift douglas adam and john lloyd's book where they they take place names 
and 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 ascribe meanings uh, for things that we don't have words for uh, is a genius idea, and I think one of the best books ever read, and very very funny. If you've never read *The Meaning of Lif*, uh, it's got a Doc Two link because it's Douglas Adams. You will not go wrong enjoying that. Um, I, I I like this. Patrick Troughton does so well. He spends the whole episode uh, tied up. Um, uh, Troughton's very good at being truthful and and funny but he's driving the drama as well uh all whilst tied up uh, or or strapped down and I, I he's got he's very simon cowell in the trouser department isn't he they're going right up to his his midriff uh, i do and i do like uh, robert holmes's dialogue although as i say i can sort of understand people that have have problems with this pan to vegetarianism which also indulges in the most uh, grotesque imagery and uh, uh, dialogue and, and incidents that it possibly can uh, it and, and I'm troubled by Dastari I think I think Lawrence Payne does it very well but uh, you know he's 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 a sort of conscious stricken scientist unless he wants to it'll hurt me more than it hurts you what gives you that idea so unless he wants to give a witty response uh, oh. oh crumbs <laughs> I like oh crumbs uh, <laughs> I think I think that might have been the bit that I missed because uh, I think did my sister tell me he said oh crumbs and I was sad to have missed it anyway so I missed yeah I missed a little bit of this uh, until I could see it many many years later because I'd left my shoes in the hall god it's horrible being a kid isn't it how old was I when this was on 11 Oh, uh, and I was only at home one day. I was only at home for Saturday nights. So it was my island. I thought maybe I deserved a break to just just be allowed to be be me. Anyway, oh, oh, the past. It's another country. I know they say that, but it's another country with where, where there are, with, with lots of ditches and <laughs> lots of... Uh, terrifying encounters uh lots of bits you never understand anyway oh i'm i'm obsessed with the, the the power of the past but it's a power that we give it isn't it and yet i find solace in this stuff as well because it anchors us um you know i love the fact that this still exists from my childhood and it's a reminder of uh of this was the thing that I looked forward to. This was the highlight of my week. I was <laughs> I was I was bereft when Doctor Who wasn't on. I was excited about Doctor Who when it was coming on. And I still have that as an adult looking forward to Doctor Who when it's it's on, but uh and the fact that it was new Doctor Who and it was, you know, and I we knew nothing. I mean, as I said, I'd had the little preview in Doctor Who magazine t telling us that it was it was going to be three episodes, but that was it. I didn't even know the Sontarans were going to be in it. Uh, well done, Clinton Grain. You're scratching your face. It's a little actor's trick there for somebody working inside a mask that goes, well, uh, you know, you, a lesser actor would not think to do that because he's in a mask. He's going, no, this isn't a mask. This is my face, even though uh, it's got kinks in places uh, and... Uh, uh, and... and, and uh, 
it sort of looks like somebody's sucked the air out from underneath. So it's sort of like, I don't, yeah, the, the cheek cheek bits. Um, but he's a, he's an impressive size, Clinton Gray. He's very tall. He was a very uh, magnificent fellow. He was a wonderful um, arch- architect. He I, I went to his his flat, which he'd done himself, and it had gorgeous sort of limestone interiors on the or sandstone on the way up to the up the stairs which was sort of stone stairs in london um and then this gorgeous flat which had loads of sort of glass and white surfaces and they had a very beautiful wife uh uh and they they were just classy people give me a lovely cup of coffee uh in his uh, i like the way he slaps him here it really works but he's 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 trying to he's trying to uh trick the Sontaran, it's great. And I love the idea of this diminutive pixie-like doctor challenging this tall, imposing, uh, you know, uh, as he sees an honourable soldier, field marshal type. Um, you can see a bit of hair sticking up there, but I don't think you see enough of their beards. And actually, I, as I say, I find the, the beard of Lynx much better because it's, it's like a wiry, uh, uh, sharp thing whereas that seems sort of wispy hair uh great eye acting brilliant eye acting here from clinton grain he really bursts out of the oh i like the eyebrows but the the beard i uh, you, don't, you don't really get enough of it but i as i say i like the the really sharp uh sharp spikes that uh lynx has as a beard but uh, that's all the doctor trying to Trying to do well, he doesn't know. He doesn't know if it will work, even if it does work, which it doesn't. But you know, in challenging to a duel, that would at least get him free from his bonds, and then he could come up with another plan. I like that. That's the doctor, you know, pit, 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 pitting himself, pitching and pitching in to do a plan that he doesn't know what the end game of the plan is, but at least it will get him beyond where he is now. Uh, and and I just love, yeah, love the idea of the the. The, the little doctor um, uh, going, I'm challenging you to a duel. It's just a ridiculous thing to do, but, you know, sensible under the circumstances, but a lovely juxtaposition between those two characters. But yeah, C- Clinton Grain, uh, I thought was a, was a, was a man of great uh, style. Uh, and he was tall and white haired and very strong. Uh, and he died quite suddenly because I knew he was going to do a signing for Phantom, and then season eighteen box set was coming out, and uh, and uh, Jay and his wife had to phone him and say, "I'm oh, sorry, he's he's died." So must have been very sudden. And I liked him. Um, uh, and yeah, he was. I think he was a member of the Society for Architects, and I can see why because he bought. He'd lived next door, I think, and then he'd bought the flat next door that had been. There'd been something about it hadn't been able to buy. It was being eyed for redevelopment or something. And he finally got his hands on it. And as I say, did this beautiful job on it. Beautiful place. Um, So what do we think of them being in Spain? I think it does give it a nice different hue. As I say, it wasn't great, massive news to me. But I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not greatly geographical. Um, But, uh, you know, it does make a change from a a, a gravel pit, I suppose. But, uh, but also, it's, I suppose it's slightly tainted because you know that John Nathan Turner was probably enjoying a jolly. Um, and then there is something fun, isn't there, about two two extraterrestrial, extravagant extraterrestrials sitting in a kitchen going through recipe books. Um, uh, and I, I do actually like, you know, the idea that we suddenly become the prey. We become the... 
the the food stuff because that does shine a light on the way that we treat animals you know we are, that's because all we are is animals with ideas above our station so suddenly if we are game uh, as it were or even worse uh, we're uh, um you know live livestock at least game lives in the wild but if we're livestock uh uh for these alien creatures uh oh this is a nice touch i think does she does she put this in his mouth now i'd always thought it was a fruity thing or a plum or something but it's not it's a piece of beetroot isn't it which uh which is different because he's actually eating it you know, he's giving the impression he's eating a lovely piece of fruit, but of course beetroot would take completely different. I love you, John Stratton. I've always liked his performance. I'm enjoying it even more now than I ever have before. This is the great thing about coming back to Doctor Who bit. Suddenly you'll, you'll be watching it and you go, oh, that bit. I'm suddenly, I'm, I'm watching it for this bit now. And sometimes I've watched Who's and, and things I've really liked haven't quite worked for me that time round. And then, then and I've gone, oh, I thought that was, I thought that person was better. I thought that that monster was better or that shit was better. And then the next time I watch it, I'll go, oh yeah, I remember I last watched this. I didn't like that performance as much. Oh no, actually, it's a really good performance. And I think I was a bit like that with the uh, with the Sontaran masks, going, oh, I'm expecting not to like them, but actually, uh, you know, Clinton Grain's mask is it, it works. I still maintain that they're that they're, they're not as good as previous. Well, the Invasion of Time ones. The, but, I mean, he doesn't even have the same mask, well, the same makeup between studios. Um, but we'll do that when we do the Invasion of Time. Um, uh, and the Sontaran Experiment one had to be slightly compromised because Kevin Lindsay had been had been poorly. And it's still a decent mask, and it ties in with a Gollum idea. Um, although that's actually in the novel. doesn't matter. Um what do we think of why am i talking to you you're not you're not going to be able to answer of colin it's colin baker's uh uh waistcoat um i do like the the shirt with the with the with the checked lining um but no it's still a bit the, tr- the trousers are, the trousers are still a bit much they're quite high as well why has everybody got high trousers in this that's the problem with braces. You see, I like braces. They're 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 quite fun, but they do they do pull your trousers up a bit much. Um, so yes, so they're in. Oh, so right, poor old poor old Perry has to <laughs> go and put herself in the firing line. They've, it's it's funny because if this was modern Doctor Who, they I mean they'd be almost crying now, going. Uh, you're like nobody I've ever met before, but can you go? But we've both got to go and put ourselves in mortal danger, and they and they would make it like they were never going to see each other again. Uh, <laughs> uh, whereas here, it's just like you go and do that, uh, I'll go and do this. This is the order of the day. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but uh, and I love poor old Oscar <laughs> being left there. You're just an out of work actor, mate. You're useless. Um, uh, oh, and he's. And he's his shock eye is tarting himself up uh, for a night on the town. I love that idea. Oh, we've got him and Troughton going to, the, to going to the restaurant in the next episode, uh, which I'm sure I'm going to thoroughly enjoy. Um, I wasn't wild about the Andrigum sort of makeup uh, at the at the time. Uh, I think it's because it's because of its colouring. I think I, and 
It seemed a bit like, because I think because Russ Abbott was doing the, his Scottish character. You could do that in comedy those days. It was just like, what's your character? It's a nationality. Um, is see you, Jimmy. I, I think anything sort of red eyebrowed, it was like you're doing a comical Scotsman. Uh, and uh, even <laughs> so, I think I, I, I think I slightly uh, rejected her, uh-huh, considering what the plot is going to be. The uh, I, I wasn't as fond of the the whole Andrigum thing. Uh, then as now, I was much more interested in, you know, the Sontarans and the uh, and the Time Lords and all of that. Yeah, it's the sucked in cheeks. I think look a bit. There's nothing wrong with that as a concept. It's just the proportions are a bit, a bit odd. Or maybe I just maybe it's just taste. Maybe I just don't. Yeah. But looking at them now, they're not as. Again, the the beard should be spikier. Bristles. That's the word I was looking for bristles rather than fur uh, <laughs> he does it all so well uh Troughton. and i think that was the other thing i didn't want to see Troughton being an androgen because i wanted to see Troughton being the second doctor who i love um and if i was you know that would be a bit like watching an old doctor who if he's being the old doctor who, not if he's being an androgen um uh I mean, it, it works having Clinton Green being very tall um, in terms of the dynamic of this story. I love the little uh, the little mini chainsaw that he's got. That's a that's a lovely little visual effects prop. Visual effects doing very well. That and the uh, the, the 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 sticky uh, the sticky pin things. Uh, and this <laughs> I I do like this little bit of business where. Uh, Anita gives the doctor a kiss and then <laughs> Fraser, sorry, Jamie. Oh, the line is very blurred. <laughs> he wants a kiss and he doesn't get one. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and of course, in real life, if Jamie was a, a young Jacobite. It'd, it'd been a, he'd have been a, it'd probably quite unreconstructed in his attitude towards young ladies. But uh, I love what, what Fraser brings to it the sort of the innocence and the stupidity is too harsh. The, the, the the game simplicity shall we say oh even the way he sort of stands and leans in and strokes his neck ah <laughs> he's perfect john stratton he's perfect if i could choose him again i would he's like a piratical yeah he's a piratical chef <laughs> but he's he's really he buys into the whole sort of sensual thing of it um And, and Jacqueline Pierce is good because she's got to convince you that she's got this sort of augmentation thing going on, but that also she has, then we can cook her. <laughs> that she's got the sort of vestiges of that savagery within her that she's fighting against. And her skill is very much that sort of, as I said before, I think sensual longing that, uh, you know, that uh, Serverland kind of had. She, she you always got the impression that she was crying that she couldn't, screw somebody who was now dead <laughs> it's that in space that was it was sort of yes it was uh yes it was sort of um thwarted science fiction sensuality um all and none of this it's all wonderful um the emotion that she brings to it i think is great i think serverland is superb um and again, I've thought I thought that more as I've got older. I I, I remember watching Blake Seven originally. I I didn't I didn't quite get some. I knew she was the baddie, um, 
and I didn't like her. But of course, I didn't like her because she was the baddie. But I actually, uh, you know, on, on subsequent revisits to oh, um, Dastari, Lawrence Payne crashes into the the the, the mobile chair there. <laughs> I, I love his disgust at uh, <laughs> Shokai. Um, but but on subsequently re, re, re subsequent rewatches of Blake Seven, I've 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 really admired what Jacqueline Pierce uh, brings to uh, Serverland. Uh, it's it's a it's a truly great performance. And as I say, I had the uh, did I say last time I had the I had the pleasure of working with her on a big finish. But I, I she she did sort of float in rather, and it, it it was when somebody asked her a question, she sort of answered it as if she wasn't there. Um, perfect, you know, perfectly nice. But I thought slightly on a different plane. Um, and have you heard the commentary for this? She just spends the whole thing going, "Who oh, did I, darling? I don't remember." I seem to recall, seem to recall that, that that there's not a massive amount of insight, but an awful lot of um, charming vagary. Uh, I like that chair actually. That's a wonderful contraption, isn't it? The it's like a rocking chair on wheels. I love that. Um, Madam. Ah. Uh in the kitchen <laughs> oh it's glorious uh, that really i mean that's a really shiny bako foil top isn't it it's like it's it's like kaleidoscopic bako foil um oh no what's and what's he got in his hat has he got sort of fishing fishing flies in his hat it's great it's great loving it oh yeah she gives a great sense yes Yes, and the little hand movement. Oh boy, she's good. I love those two for different. They complement each other very well. But you get you get a shared of sense, sense, a, a, a shared history. Um, oh, and I love this bit. It's when because Stike, Stike grabs Jamie, doesn't he? I I love the confrontation. That might I don't think that's till next week. Um, but I remember loving that bit. Um, uh, I I do think Clinton Clinton Grain is greater Stike, even though he's too tall and has too many fingers does he have too many fingers i think he does how many fingers do the sontarans have seem to recall they get more fingers as they go along as well um again it always seems a bit weird when we go we've got these aliens and they have these specific things that are different about them yeah well let's get rid of those and make them a bit more the same how many fingers have they got oh no oh no they've got three fingers good good um is it that they don't have three fingers now? Can't remember. Um, don't give it the power it doesn't have to be. Uh, so this is nice. This is uh, making use of the location and poor old Perry. Uh, oh gosh, it's not long of a chase. I, it's not, I think I'd imagine maybe it was a bit like the Caves of Androzarani where they seem to run around forever. She didn't get far. That's a terrific shot. Uh, what a... Ah, uh, oh, Yes. And and that's of course far longer than you would do that for, but he uh, he sustains it with his sort of slight wobbly. It's almost like DTs. It's almost like it's almost like sort of he's got his his his, his nerves are slightly shot. You get the impression that that he's he's drunk a lot. <laughs> Shock eye. He's pickled. Uh, he sort of drink probably drinks alcoholic vinegar. Um, 
Well, I enjoyed that after, I think, a quite a slow starter. I think you're dying for it to get off the space station. And it, and it, and it takes a while. Interesting that, that the first episode, you spend a lot of time with Patrick Trout and going, where's, where's Colin Baker? It's his show. And then you're spending a lot of time with Colin Baker at the beginning of this one going, yeah, but actually where Patrick Trout is is where it's more interesting. So I, I can see it sort of, you know, it didn't need to be uh, the three episodes, but of course, because it's... I guess because it's the one in Spain and because it's the one with Patrick Trout and you want as, as, as long with those things as possible. Um, ah, Tony Burra, um, Oscar-winning designer, Oscar-nominated designer. Have I talked about him? Uh, maybe, well, maybe I'll talk about him next week. It's, that's the problem when, when, as I say, I recorded episode one, uh, oh, part one, as the uh, DVD menu reminds me. Uh, quite some time ago so uh i enjoyed that what are matt's oh i've got to choose my favorite things uh my favorite things about that episode well i think there's lots of i do think there's lots of nice little props and as as matt chose the the manipulation of the gumball jack and the little bits of business that the actor did i'm not sure he won't be averse to picking on the the just the tiny little bits of attention to detail i love the little things that go into fraser Hines's neck and stick and then uh, and it's you know you know the trick of when the needle goes in but actually when he pulled it out it's like the needle retracted as well and there's a lot of little mechanisms you have to do to make that work and the stick as well and it pulled at his his neck i thought that was a lovely tiny little bit of detail uh, i like the little uh the the mini chainsaw because it got a little uh, it looked like a sort of half gun bit, you know, the breathing apparatus that the half have a sort of spirit level thing attached to it, and 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 the the wheelchair rocking chair business, the uh, sort of old fashioned wooden wheelchair. I like it. so the yeah little bits of little bits of propage uh, I liked very much. So should we call that visual effects set decoration? Uh, those bits uh, I liked those. Uh, and what else do I? Is it Jamie's kiss? Uh, I think it's got to be the confrontation between Stike and the Doctor because you've got a lot going on there. You've got Clinton Grain doing some great work, scratching his face, the eye acting that he does. You know, he's, the, he's behind a mask, but he really, he's really selling it, and he he seems to know where the camera is and and how to get get the best out of his his performance, depending on where he's being shot from, which is not to be underestimated. And Troughton, Troughton's gambit is great. Uh, I'm the doctor. I'm going to do this. This isn't the best plan in the world, but it's the only one I've got. And I'm not quite sure even what it is, but I know I've got to get him to accept my challenge for a duel, which he doesn't do. Um, and and he does that wonderful, oh, well, that didn't work, did it? And also he says, oh, crumbs, not in that bit. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Troughton and Stike, Doctor and Stike and uh, a little visual effects, props, set decoration. What has Matt chosen? So episode two then, um, again, lots to pick, really tricky to pick it down to two things, but love John Stratton as Shock Eye. Uh, I bet he had immense fun playing that. And again, a bit of actor's business, this time with a rat, only he doesn't throw his prey back into the water uh, this time. And um, Patrick Troughton as a second doctor, obviously blissful, blissful to see him back in the role. I love the fact that he was okay with his doctor being weak, scared, etc. And oh my goodness, oh my giddy aunt, oh crumbs, that sort of stuff. Wonderful. 
Ah, now, do you know what? I feel I get both of those because because where I'm at a disadvantage, where if somebody chooses something before me, so if, if like it happened with Fuchsia in the Seeds of Death some time ago, somebody chooses something before me, I then can't choose it afterwards. But if I choose something in episode one that somebody then subsequently chooses, that's points for me that I've got in the bag. So I chose John Stratton last time, so I get a point for that. And I think... You know, I think it would have been straightforward to have gone and Patrick Troughton, but I, you know, I picked out the O crumbs and the confrontation. I think I'm allowed both of those points. I think I, I stand so little chance of ever winning. Uh, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to. I'm not going to penalise myself for not getting uh, exactly when actually we were we were celebrating the same things. Even though I, you know, specify, uh, you know, I, I honed in on the scene between. Uh, him and Stike, but it was partially because of the oh crumbses and and the fact that he was doing such a good job whilst being vulnerable that that Matt alluded to, um, and, and and because I think we were, yeah, we were we were coming from the same same place, and I try not to choose a character or an actor because I think that's so obvious uh, for me to do it. It would be really boring because I would just go Patrick Troughton, John Stratton, Jacqueline Pierce, Lawrence Bain, James Saxon. Do you know what I mean? I could have chosen any of those things. So I, I tried to go off piste for me and actually choose a scene. Uh, uh, but, but you know, one of the, ma- the main reasons was Troughton. So I look, write in if you like, write to the producer here. He won't fire me because he's me. Uh, write to the exec. Um, he won't fire me because it's me. Write to the presenter. It's me. I've, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of this place. Who's that? That's Peter Miles in Doctor and the Silurians. Oh, nobody said Somebody has chosen that to do but hasn't sent the video. That is the bit I'm going to choose for that. It's Dr. Lawrence's uh, uh, death scene in... Uh, in uh, it, is, is it episode seven? I think it is. He dies in the last episode. Uh, uh, which is just magnificent um or is it episode six does he yeah no i'm sure it's i'm sure it's the last episode it's, uh, i'm in charge of this are you going why am i talking about dr two and the silurians oh because you know what? Uh, i can love peter miles and dr lawrence right now um that's a great story stop talking about a different doctor who story um i like doctor who I like this episode is the first episode of the happy times and places I have recorded since the news that Russell T. Davis is coming back to Doctor Who. Uh, and so I'm buoyant uh, because actually through doing these, um, I've had the chance to see. So, and, and during lockdown with the tweet alongs and stuff, I, I went back to a lot of Russell T. Davis era Doctor Who that I hadn't watched for a, for a good long time. And and again, it was a looking at the past. I was going, I used to get so cross about little bits of here and what I might think people would think of that. I loved I loved it. I loved it. But I used to get so furious about things that worried me or disappointed me. And a lot of things that worried me, I look back on now and go, why did I worry about that? The, uh, 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 why? Madness. Because uh, everything was so perilous. I think the idea that Doctor Who could be cancelled any minute. And because, of course, when this was on, when the two Doctors was on, was pretty much when they announced that Doctor Who, the hiatus was going to happen, and Doctor Who was violent and unimaginative. And there's a lot of violence here. Um, so yeah, was it during the, was it during the broadcast of the two Doctors it was announced? I think it may well have been. I will have to check and come back to you next week if I remember. Um, you'll know anyway. You'll look it up, uh, and I'll look it up and check and and remind myself, and then I might not remember to tell you. Well, I can't do everything. Um, but it was certainly around this time 
that Doctor Who uh, was, you know, so suddenly the thing that had been a constant, as I say, in a in a in an emotionally peripatetic uh, childhood where Saturday night was the anchor and the only certainty, and the only thing that was mine, uh, apart from during this episode when I had to move my shoes. Which, st- which was obviously such a moment that it, I-, I can still remember it and it looms large. And I still still slightly resent it. But as I said to that young fan, you know, d- don't don't bring your resentments with you. That's what gives them power. But isn't that... Uh, but looking at the past, looking at Russell's Doctor Who, Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who, which is so brilliant, reminding myself how brilliant it was uh, and how lucky we were and I think, I, and I say, oh, we didn't appreciate it. We did because I love, I loved, and I looked forward to Doctor Who every week uh, when when it came back. It was a thrill. It was like being a kid again. So that's where the nostalgia is helpful, like being a kid again. I didn't mean to use that phrase, but and that that brings with it. And I was, as I say, childhood can be scary and frightening. And I look, I looked at a kid in the park today looking for conkers and. Uh, and he was so sort of gleeful, but I also thought so vulnerable because those are the times when you're bullied as well. So, so you you can be gleeful about a conquer, but then crying because somebody said something cruel or unkind. So I think it's yeah, that's why childhood is such a draw, isn't it? It's because when we were perhaps slightly more in touch with our emotions, um, which is why you think of it as being oh, I'm an excited child, but also that emotional response to. Fleetwood Mac of I, I I did I found myself close to tears really weirdly because it it, it reminded me of a, also a time when you know emotions were perhaps rawer but is that is that a better way to be than being sort of having your edges dulled by life and mortgages and having to uh, you know worrying about shoes being in the hall or you know what I've been doing today it's a Sunday I've been tidying the house because that's what grown-ups do I've put bleach around the toilet and thought yeah toby you're a grown-up that's what grown-ups do that's what they do that grown-ups, that's, yeah yeah you shouldn't still be getting that through that's it at 47 going yeah i'm a grown-up because I, I put bleach around the rim of the toilet because i don't live with my mother anymore um so what am i talking about i don't know the past never mind spain being another kind the past uh yeah so I was, maybe I was wrong about saying to that that young lad. Well, no, I wasn't. The past is very, very powerful, but I guess you have to decide what you want to draw from it. And if you if you draw the things, and it wasn't an unhappiness when Fleetwood Mac made me cry. It was it was just the sort of profundity of the fact that we can still touch touch ourselves through time, if you like. Uh, I'm worried I'm sounding pretentious now. But I did. It was quite a moment. And I think that's part of the appeal of Doctor Who is because it keeps us in touch with our childhood. But what's interesting about Russell coming back, it's got nothing to do with the two Doctors, um, is that I wasn't a kid when Doctor Who came back. And yet I still had that excitement. That, and, and Doctor Who still did. That's what surprised me when Doctor Who came back. It still did what it had done to me when the two Doctors was on. And this week, I think, has reminded me that it can still do it again. And it's always done it. Uh, good old Doctor Who. Um, so that was uh, that was a bit tonally all over the place, wasn't it? I had a lot of fun. Uh, I think I got a bit pretentious. Uh, certainly uh, lots of uh, unnecessarily rambling. 
but enough about the episode. <laughs> the commentary was pretty much the same as well. But look, it is what it is. It's a man watching Doctor Who and saying what comes into his mind. And for better or worse, that man is me. Uh, there were two Doctors, so just be grateful there's only one of me uh, watching part two of The Two Doctors or the episode where I had to move my shoes. Well, welcome, everybody. It's very dark here in Haydoke Towers. It's gone 1am and I should be going to bed, but I've just been catching up with The Walking Dead and that reminded me that I have a grotesque instalment of Doctor Who still to do and I thoroughly enjoyed part two of The Two Doctors, which, as you heard, I am watching with Matt Hayden, a friend of mine, uh, a cineast, uh, a man of culture and erudition, and also uh, base humour and low morals. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good mix, is Matt. Uh, but he's not a dyed-in-the-wool Who fan, so his, uh, his perspective is an interesting one. His choice is an interesting one, a story that I know many dislike. Um, I've always had a soft spot for it. Um, uh, and as I say, one illustrious person I know thinks it the worst script ever written for Doctor Who. And this is a person who likes the work of Robert Holmes, as I do. So anyway, let's see how what what delights are on the menu as we go for part three. I am on the DVD. I am on episode selection. So I'm going to press enter now for part three. Uh, and fans of last episode of Happy Times and Places um, hopefully weren't throwing things at their stereo uh, or headphones or computer or however you uh, digest this hourly, um, because I was correct. It was between episodes two and three of The Two Doctors that the cancellation slash hiatus of Doctor Who was announced by the BBC called, as it was by Michael Grade, violent and unimaginative. Uh, and we're just about to have a pretty grim episode, which, or, which some could say um, justifies just justifies his argument. Uh, and let's not get into whether it was a hiatus or a cancellation. I think the, the clever money is on. They were going to cancel it, and there was so much uproar that they had to um, change their minds. Um, so... I don't know. I don't know what's in. Uh, why Shockeye has a bullet belt? I don't know what's in there. Presumably herbs, and so he's just got sort of paprika that he can spray on any passing creature that he uh, uh, slaughters for the table. Oh, does he say you're you're a fine fleshy beast? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> ripe for the table for the knife. <laughs> I love it, and I love this little. That's just a little thing they've worked out where they go. Well, he can. And I like the fact that they're sort of strong, but they don't make a a, 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 a meal of that, uh, if you'll excuse me. But I like the way he just does that little sort of bash that a chef would know could uh, knock out a, a, a creature. He doesn't have to use force. He just knows which which nerve to hit, which like. I haven't mentioned Val much, have I? I like, uh, uh, Val was, for many years, my favourite Sontaran because he was my first Sontaran, um, even though he took off his helmet in long shot. Um uh, but uh, the more times I've watched this, the more times I've realized he doesn't actually do anything, except occasionally goes, yes, sir. Um, and and uh, did I, have I talked about the fact that Stike is Welsh? 
Um, he's one of, in an honourable tradition of a, I will leave none of you alive here. Um, I, I would dearly love to kill you, Doctor. Have I done, have I done, did I do that last week? Last week. I only did it yesterday. Um, and when I do the android invasion, uh, Stigron is Welsh, even though the actor that plays Stigron is not. I was convinced for years he was. Science Chadaki. Um, but he was actually, I think he was from Hampstead, Martin Friend. But uh, So I don't know what it is about playing monsters that sometimes makes you sound Welsh, whether you're supposed to be or not. Um, would you would you really operate a, a computer bank with a gun? Uh, but it's a, it's a nice uh, it's a, it's a nice piece of business. But um, uh, and I I like this I like this scene. This this was this was Doctor Who to me. You know the Doctor being confronted by the monster, Jamie in mortal peril. I love I always loved the fact that Jamie had a knife in his sock. Since I read about it in Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, I mean you just wouldn't you wouldn't now. Um, but as I've said before, knives, knives were containable. Knives, knives were were the less bad thing. It was guns that were visceral and nasty. Knives were so people had knives. We had pen knives. <laughs> Seems extraordinary now. But uh, I and I love the joke of this. Some tyrants are invincible. I'll stab him in the knee. <laughs> but I love this. I love this. There's going to be a laser beam. I love a laser beam and a well placed explosion where the laser beam hits. I love that. That's all brilliant. Love that. I think that's all great. And he's got the knife sticking out. I love that whole sequence because um, it's it's sort of Doctor Who's not often that action packed um, in the studio. It's it's hard to be to to look good um, with sort of multi camera. It's really hard to stage. Um, and you know, even now, I think when soaps do action-packed episodes, it's it's they they, they struggle sometimes because uh, you know we're not we're not used to doing it particularly. Um, but uh, that this is the beginning of Stike's descent, uh, where he's he's ble bleeding green goo, which you always like a bit in Doctor Who, um, uh, and it's the running gag of every time we see Stike, he gets progressively more knackered. Um, but yes, Tim, I know Tim, I read an interview with Tim Raynham in a Doctor Who magazine, Summer Special, uh, who plays Val, who I think had written to the Doctor Who production team quite a lot. But he'd written and sort of said, um, uh, you know, seeing as you've cast that really ugly actress, Nicola Bryant, you need somebody beautiful like me. Because I think he was alluding to the fact that he, I don't think he's necessarily would consider himself a looker. He was inverting uh, the idea that... Uh, you know, because Nicola Bryant is a very beautiful woman. And so he, he rather wittily uh, got himself uh, the part. Uh, good for him. Um, I'm not sure he's ever responded to any requests uh, since for interview. I, I know some of, some of the chaps uh, who track down actors have, have had no luck with him, although he's still about. Um, but anyway, I admire his chutzpah. I, whenever I've tried to display chutzpah to get cast in things, because I'm, I'm not very good at playing the game like that. that. That's an example of somebody being, you know, taking a risk and it paying off. And I like that. Trevor Cooper did a similar thing. I think one of his early... Uh, uh, yes, he's going to say, yes, sir, isn't he? Sir, that's what he does. But bless him, he got to go to Spain. Um, uh Trevor Cooper, I think, when he I said to him, well, you, you play the jailer in A Winter's Tale. That was really early in your career. And I think he'd basically written and said, um, uh, can I play? I, I, I think I could probably play Hermione, but if, if you've cast that part, I suppose I could do the jailer or something like that. <laughs> or he said, I really, really want to play the jailer or I uh, failed in that. You could cast me as Hermione. It was something, it was one of those. <laughs> and, and I've always just tried to sort of be, be nice and every time I've tried to be sort of charming or funny um you can see it never quite works <laughs> I quite know how to take it um 
so I don't know why uh, what it is about me who who I think can be you know funny and quick-witted on stage as a as a comic you know I've got away with it in front of rooms and rooms of people on a one-on-one situation where it gets me a job I've always made of fouled it up um so whilst I admire the chutzpah of uh, of Tim Raynham part of me is um devastated that uh, such a thing can 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 pay off when other people try it when i try it that i end up giving i end up mucking it up somehow <laughs> uh uh you could, yeah there's his fags there's his fags and lighter shock eyes fags and lighter in his tummy um now interestingly our, a, a dear old friend of mine sarah from university was teaching in stockport or somewhere and she said can you come and show my my kids some this was after i'd left university and was sort of you know jobbing about uh she said can you come and show my students some sci-fi i'm trying to teach them about sci-fi so i so i showed them bits of 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 i think i showed this scene where he's oh no maybe it's the later one where he's sizing up jamie and talking about jamie as we would talk about livestock um and i brought him some x-files as well this hoary old sequence where John Finn and David Duchovny are walking around a corrid- down a corridor and it's a massive exposition dump uh, to try and make it, uh, tying it up with historical events and, and lots of stock footage and uh, trying to sound important because it was tying it in with Vietnam and JFK and all of that. And it was, it was appalling. It was an appalling screed of uh, pseudo-portentousness. Um, uh, and of course they loved that and they thought the Doctor Who looked rubbish. Uh, but I, I, I have... He's just lopsided. They do lopsided. Those collars, I think, are unforgivable. And I know the actors are in Spain, and that's a brilliant shot, and, and so need to breathe. But they're, they're untucked. I think it's unforgivable. Um, and oh, I remember this. Um, yes, because it's the sort of betrayal of of, of Shokai. Um, because of course they have to zap him because he talks about fouling the bread of the Quancy Grig. So they're so they're. The, they're genetic purists as well, or shock eyes as well as being a horrible butcher. Um, but I quite like, I quite like that. Um, I, I think I just like a laser beam. <laughs> but I like the sort of dr- dramatic um, uh, subjugation of shock eye there. Um, but yes, as I think I said last week, I wasn't last night. I wasn't um, particularly taken with the idea of Patrick Troughton having to Andrew gum it up for a bit because I wanted to see. Perhaps I'm into pure. I wanted to see his pure doctor. Um, so what was I talking about? Um, so hang on. Uh, yes, I got annoyed with the collars. I was talking about. Doesn't matter. It'll come back to me. Uh, and if it doesn't, it does. now Dastari confuses me in this episode because he's doing the because we know he's a friend of the Doctor and I love all that stuff with him in Trouton at the beginning where he's obviously a uh, you know a decent scientist who's just you know wanting to advance science but then he gets sort of all a bit sarky uh, and and now having got to the point where he's doing the next progression of his experiment having you know laid waste to his own space station and uh not sort of questioned anything he's he's, he's now suddenly gone oh it's good it's halfway through episode three um i think the only way they're going to get rid of me is if i develop a conscience and my own creation has to finish me off um but lawrence payne's very dignified performance even though he looks like a member of buggles um Dastari killed the Andrigum star. Um, uh, Augmentation killed the Andrigum star. Um, I I think he's great. Uh, And I'm glad uh, Peter Moffat knew his actors well enough to to call an actor out of retirement. Oh, yes, I was teaching the the students. And I've, I've never 
forgotten because when I showed them the scene of Jamie, I wanted them to go, oh yes, they're treating Jamie like we treat animals. I wanted them to pick up on the the, the, the fairly obvious sort of metaphor there, the subtext of, um, you know, how we talk about animals. We the the the, the wheeze of this story is that we are suddenly the 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 livestock. Um, and I said, so what's your first what's your first impression of that? And this young lad went uh, low budget, and I went no, and I immediately went no. Uh, and and then sort of said, well, no, what I was looking for was, and, and tried to get him to talk about the subject matter. But the fact that I was so quick on when they said low budget, that's an interesting observation. I should have been able to go say, okay, what makes you think that compared to the X-Files and blah, blah, blah. And they much preferred the X-Files clip, even though it was nonsense. Um, but I, as a teacher, as it were, uh, should have put my, should not have been so quick to react because I was reacting because of my own the own scars I bore about Doctor Who being, uh, you know, dismissed as being low budget, etc., etc. So, um, and it's always stuck with me, and I hope that child wasn't put off uh, an, an academic career or an interest in media studies or indeed science fiction because of a teacher that brought his own, uh, his own private grief uh, to the classroom. Uh, but I still remember it. Uh, and and Dragoon. Uh, now, these two have an awful lot of fun doing this, uh, and I rather enjoy it. Um, uh, but as I say, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too hot at the time, and, and they, 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 those eyebrows are a livid red, aren't they? <laughs> but I do, th I do like the idea of these two old, <laughs> these two old gents uh, uh, going around eating everything. Oh, and so this is where um, they must have been baking uh, in that teat. Um, I always think it's a bit lazy when the baddies kill the baddies, but you sort of have to have it in Doctor Who. But they used to do it in 24 all the time. In 24, after about six episodes, you tell that the producers had got bored of the villain, so then they'd get a super villain to come and kill the previous villain because, you know, they'd go, oh, you haven't killed Jack Bauer. Instead of going, let's work together to kill Jack Bauer, they go, I'm going to kill you. And all the other underlings go, that's just what we do. We kill each other when it doesn't work. Um, uh, and, and you know, that actor, I think viewers, we need to escalate the villainy. So now we've got a villain who, you know, who's at a higher level in villain towers. Um, no, it's weird because in 24, the, the villain was not afraid to kill people. Um, but, of course, Doctor Who generally... Um, and except for you know there's always an exception that proves the rule generally um look the collar goes right up to his nose i'm sorry i know i have to accentuate the positive but uh, i'm not a fan of the collars I, at least i'm glad they've got a probic vent but i remember being cross because i loved it you know i knew that the sontarans could be killed by a probic vent and then suddenly this this acid stuff kills them and you're like no no i want i, I want I wanted them to get killed by the probic vent because that's how Sontarans die because I'd read them in the books. Um, so Val gets a fairly crap death, bless him. Um, uh, that, that, that canister has blown up quite near him and so that's killed him. But this, this, the, I think the, time, the, the timing of when the sparks hit Stike there, it does look like the acid is hitting his face and then the green stuff is sort of sprouting out. And I think that's just by a sort of accident of the sparks where they are and the camera angle and the way he turns. But it does look like it's hitting him and the sort of the, the, the face guts are sort of spurting out. So that's, that's actually quite effective. I've, uh, and I remember the first time seeing that going, oh, that's, uh, that looks pretty grim. Um, 
but, but if, actually, if you examine it, it's not how it first appears. But that's that's the beauty of of uh, sometimes sometimes a, a shot, uh, you know, can can cheat. Even though that wasn't, I'm sure the intention either. They just lucked out. Um, but very good. Um, but yeah, I did want them to get killed by Probic Vent because that was one of the pieces of Doctor Who lore that I'd learnt from the Target books. Because as I say, this is the first time I'd seen the Sontarans. Because um, I discovered so much of Doctor Who through the Target books. So there was there was nothing more exciting than the end of part one of Earthshock. Um, and I think that excitement of my generation seeing the Cybermen for the first time. Yay, Stike's still alive. <laughs> Covered in... It's quite, it's quite an indignity, and I think it's quite funny, isn't it? Because he spends the whole thing being this sort of military guy, and they give him the swagger cane, and he's certainly the most sort of militaristic in in the way that in in, in the sense that we understand it and I identify. It. Previous Sontarans have been militaristic. Kevin Lindsay had a great um, sort of gait and clip delivery and stuff, but but you know, Stike's got a swagger cane and standardies and all of that. You know, they yeah they sort of labor it slightly um but 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 the fact that he's got all of that uh and then and and and, and so, sort of has pretensions of uh being a sort of uh officer type and then spends the whole of episode three just getting smacked to bits and getting now i i seem to go it's rather sad that in the doctor who magazine archive of these that there's nobody knows the name of this poor spanish extra who plays the driver uh, and you'd have thought somebody would have written it down to commit him to history um but uh, and because he, he's an analyzer i think he's just he's a stuntman because he has to do he has to do that um uh and again i think that's quite a nice suggestion of the strength of the andrigam because if you hit somebody on the back with a log they wouldn't die but clearly uh, uh you know he has he has he has big strength um because yes they 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 emphasize the fact that a man has been killed i mean they don't check uh, <laughs> um but yes uh, we don't know who that uh, well, we didn't at the time. Somebody, somebody clever might have found out since who the lorry driver is. But um, as it's an actor, I will never be able to, you know, sort of knock on the door of. I don't think I. I, I mean, I. I'd love to travel to Seville, <laughs> Seville, but I, I. I think I would have trouble justifying it to my family and indeed the tax man uh, to go. I've, I'm going there to interview the man who gets hit by the log from the two doctors. Um, I love this music. And this is very funny because he's getting into his MFI, MFI time machine. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, that, uh, and of course, because he's done that. So that's a nice little plot placing of, of the Doctor's trick. The Doctor's trick to Stike. And then he has to fall out. And he's covered in even more green. And then he has the indignity of having to post double line to explain that he thinks that Chassini has double-crossed him or whatever it is he says there I think that's definitely done in post um, oh and this is where they have the obligatory we're in a foreign location uh, do you remember um, Ark of Infinity 4 we are now going to run around the streets a lot because that's what that's what you do when you're on location um, 
uh, it's almost like you don't need to have much that's going on in the story because uh, the story has been substituted by location. I think I think now we go, well, let's tell the story within the location. But in those days, you could go, well, we, we, we've done one, so we actually don't have to do the other. Those were the days. <laughs> it's like as if as if going abroad was enough. Do we have to do anything else? No, we've gone abroad. That's that the viewers will be going will be so agog that they can see Spain on their in on their living room television in in Slough or Wigan um, <laughs> that uh, they're, they're, oh my, they'll be but they'll be so dazzled by uh, the foreign climb that we don't need to burden them with story or plot. Uh, <laughs> I actually do quite enjoy watching actors having fun. I th I think there's probably less patience for it now. And I'm not sure the world is a better place. I think seeing two old cesps uh, <laughs> lording it about, <laughs> lording it about Spain in a to in top hats, um, and and the way that he's washing his hands, uh, and I like the way that Troughton describes the food. They do the food stuff in this very well. Um, the shepherd's pie joke is very good earlier, um, but the the thing that the light salad with artichoke cuts, but all of or the digestive juices, all of that. I think they do all of that really, really well. It's like the the pan frying, the gumble jack in its own juices. The, the the way that the food is grabbed. I think the way he makes a simple salad, having because he does, he's quite clever. He doesn't just go for the or oh, the relish of the the sort of gourmand stuff. Even even a simple light salad. And I, I uh, you know I like food and I like different foods and I I think that captures. Uh, you know the beauty of eating but of course then just juxtaposes it with the fact that actually it's a very functional thing and we as humans dress up um uh what is actually a very functional thing consuming fuel uh and and you know because we're 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 uh apes with ideas above our station we sort of dress it up and go oh well this is very no what you're doing is you're slaughtering a thing and you're gorging on its flesh ah but that will make it sound very sophisticated um uh, there's peter moffat uh the director uh having a, a glass of wine uh, uh and and that's mercedes carnegie isn't it who is the sort of fixer that they had over there um so gave her um a charming cameo, uh, which if you were ill disposed towards this here, you go, oh, that's just indulgent. But I actually, I actually quite like it. I quite like, um, you know, Dastari getting the rose. I, th I think it's quite a sweet moment. It doesn't lead to anything. It doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Um, this, I think, the good tongue acting. I like a Sontaran tongue. Always like a Sontaran tongue. And you think that's the end of Stike. He does have one more moment to shine. Um, uh, and we have had the setup of the ship self-destructing, um, so so that all that all ties in. Although it's not because you don't see him go into the ship, it's not it's not brilliantly clear, but it's uh, yeah, it's all right. Um, I, and I I really like Oscar. I've said this before. I I, I think James Saxon is very very good. Um, uh, and and yes, so. I, yes, Robert Holmes is is very good at. Do uh, 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 we serve humans here? <laughs> His reply is very nice, um, and he just calls him a fawning imbecile, doesn't he? Um, but um, yeah, that that idea that we 
you know, we can we we, we 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 kid ourselves that well, or is it what separates us from the animals? You know, our enjoyment of of food um, that it's that it's more than just a, you know something to keep us alive and to keep us alert so that we don't get preyed upon ourselves uh, is perhaps what you know what separates us from from the animals. But also, you know, it is a very functional thing, and you know, it goes in one end and comes out the other, and we we. Uh, we don't eulogize the latter so why why do we get so fancy about the former but uh, i i'm interested in that sort of uh that that um that contradiction within us colin colin baker does the uh, fancying the cat acting very well i totally believe that he uh he, he wants to eat that cat um and I, I, I wonder, could, could we, could we cut to other adventures where each of the other doctors is getting very hungry? I'm sure you could probably do it. I wonder if you could do it with existing stories, where, uh, where, where the doctors sort of getting, getting a bit famished. You could have uh, Davison eating his celery, couldn't you? And, uh, uh, and, uh, um, uh, uh, oh, Pert, Pert, we suddenly in the Day of the Daleks go. I'm very like this wine and blue cheese. Uh, it's, it's actually because this when the Andrigam inheritance is is uh, is uh, is taking its toll. I'm surprised somebody hasn't done a short trips uh, or some such where uh, suddenly each of each of the each of the other incarnations of the Doctor um, uh, needs need you know is 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 hankering for scran. Um, I, I'm not sure of the timeline here because they've eaten. Because a family paella would take a paella, I think, takes quite a good long time to cook if you're going to do it properly. So um, I don't get the impression that the others have been searching for quite that long. I, but I, but it's worth it for the phrase a gargantuan repast, uh, which is a lovely uh, 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 phrase that I, I I I think I have occasionally used myself. I think that says a quite a lot about me that I, I occasionally have, have unconsciously used uh, Oscar Botchaby's dialogue. Not somebody cool, not somebody hard or villainous or exciting, not even the doctor, the hero. I have used an absurd actor, an absurd out-of-work actor who murders moths. <laughs> and uh, is is the subject of a very... A controversial moment uh, in this episode but bef before we get to that oh, that extra is giving that waiter a bit of stick i don't know what that's about um oh they do they do they not like have they been told oh you're not really enjoying what they're getting up to uh, i like i think john stratton's brilliant at this um sort of going what, what what's this he's not being villainous here he's enjoying his meal and going but what's this and then i like the fact that instead of going i'm not going to give you money we he goes no no that's what we do yeah this is our tally. Yeah, I like that. That you know, lazier writing would go. I'm the villain. I don't expect to pay. He he just expects to pay. It's just that uh, he doesn't realise that the twenty nag note is not accepted. Um. Uh, but uh, the waiter that was being given stick, uh, I think one, uh, or certainly one of the yeah, I think it's the one that's, is is Nedjet Sali, who was Ali Osman in EastEnders about a year later, one of the first regulars in EastEnders, but he did bits of extra work. You can, I remember seeing him pop up, I think, but uh, as one of the b background builders in Alfreda's Aim Pet, and uh, yeah, he's he's there in Doctor Who a year before becoming uh, a, a soap opera regular in EastEnders. 
Um, I've seen him crop up in other stuff since, but I think EastEnders was the the biggest flowering of his his career. Um, and and I, I, I like the whole uh, acidized my digestive juices because I have to say, if somebody's nagging me when I'm eating, it's just like, can I, can I just finish my tea? Um, but this, how do we feel about this, everybody? I would be interested. Um, on my on my Patreon page, um, I have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, the the kind people who um, uh, contribute there. Um, that you know, when I post these up, uh, give their opinions. Hello, Sabrina Tirabassi and uh, 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 and and Guy Lambert and uh, uh, Ruben and Joe Llewellyn. Uh, lots of lovely people there. Um, I'd be interested in your opinion of that. I, I as a kid. I mean, thought this was Doctor. I, I, I like Doctor Who being gritty and violent because it was a riposte to the idea that I, I was, I, I was obsessed with the idea that people thought Doctor Who was a children's program. Even though I was eleven, I was like, yeah, 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 but, but, I, but I'm, I'm not watching kid stuff. I'm watching stuff that grown ups like. It's made by the drama department, you know. I was desperate for it to be grown up. Of course, now I sometimes see things that are desperate to be grown up are the most childish. I mean, the, the, the fact that the first grown up thing Torture tried to do was an orgasm monster, I thought was so silly. Um, uh, I, in fact, wrote a sketch where um, uh, uh, the next, uh, you know, the next episode, it will be a monster that hides itself in alien knickers and can only be defeated by swearing. Um, but and I found this terribly shocking. Um, and that's a quote from Hamlet. Um, that Colin does very well, but but unfortunately they then sort of largely forget about uh, poor old Oscar now. And by the time they get to film, which is obviously made in in a different country and at a different time, uh, it's like he never died at all. Um, which I th- so which I think I think is often a problem with uh, the doc, the doc, original Doctor Who is that. Uh, uh, you know things don't have consequences beyond a couple of scenes. Um, and I, you know, I know that sometimes people don't like more modern Doctor Who because emotions carry on, th- you know, through episodes and beyond. But that is more sort of realistic. If you'd seen a man murdered, you wouldn't you wouldn't be squabbling about which direction to go in. Uh, and the way he says, "Where are you, Anita? I can't see you." I think is terribly touching because the idea that that um, uh, and, and quite sort of grim and grotesque and. Uh, and and yet the idea that this terrible actor, you know, even at his death, you know, he he does this kind of, um, he gives himself his moment. He gives himself his rather wonderful death scene that that is sort of better than he would have done if he'd been acting. If he had been playing, he would have been a terrible Hamlet. <laughs> you never got to see my definitive Hamlet. Um, so it's still and it's still full of great jokes. Um, but it is rather sad because James Saxon is so very good because it's a stabbing. I mean, I think, I think that is, and I know some people who think that's terribly misjudged, and I would find it hard to argue with them. Apart from the fact that I found the scene, you know, sad and horrible, and and the violence, you know, turned my stomach in a way. So it sort of did its job, and yet, it's therefore entertainment, and we're being entertained in a story that's telling us about how, um, you know, poorly we treat livestock. Um, whilst at the same time perpetrating some pretty grim and unpleasant violence under the guise of children's tea time entertainment, so I'm aware it's a slightly schizophrenic piece. But I, so I find the scene of Oscar's death actually to be r- rather well done, 
Um, but it's very presence probably to be, I would probably reluctantly have to say it's it's misjudged because uh, he's a great character and it's a pretty horrible thing to do to him. Um, but then this is a story with a grotesque sense of humour as evidenced by... <laughs> By Shockeye coming in with Stike's leg, which I think is terribly funny. I've just been watching The Walking Dead, which has much more grotesque stuff than any Doctor Who of this period. Although this, you know, this, you know, the, you can tell that they've they've enjoyed Earthshock uh, and Resurrection of the Daleks and gone, why don't we try and make Doctor Who this grim and grown up all the time? And Robert Holmes has gone, yeah, but I'm going to throw jokes into mine. And I have to say. I like that, you know, The Walking Dead is 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 good fun and very, really well made and it's got lots of... But but actually, uh, there's very rarely a sort of sense of humour amongst the grand guignol, the, the grotesqueness. Um, uh, whereas the whole point of Stike getting more and more injured is to sort of revel rather blackly in the grim humour of it. Um, so he, he, he's put through all of these indignities until the point where he ends up as, as half a leg, <laughs> which is supposed to be funny and which is funny. Colin Baker's very good at the reassuring wink. Um, and there's something very, even though he's this sort of catty, scatty, spiky doctor, he, he, he does have a reassuring nature that I'm so pleased to see, uh, him bestow upon young nervous fans or even young fans who really know who he was in the in the early days of the sort of resurgence of the show and fans would be at doctor who conventions and you know so sort of aware of the classics but he would never let that phase him and treated everybody like he was a reassuring doctor i think he's a great ambassador for the show and a and a very nice man and i'm sure i've mentioned the first doctor i ever met and uh uh, I couldn't have been luckier. He was very kind. Uh, and I do think he, he, yeah, I think he's sometimes given some rotten lines. Um, but uh, he, he, I think he always, he always does them as well as they can be done. Um, oh, and, oh, yes. I, uh, 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 can I have, can I cook one of the humans? And he has the jack. I like the fact that he's... Uh, that's what Robert Holmes does very well. Instead of saying, can I have the mail? Can I have the jack? You know exactly what he means. Um, but it is... It is... Uh, um, it complements the, the... The the vocabulary that, that uh, has been used thus far. Uh, it gives it a suitably alien but not outlandish... Uh, sort of verbal palette vo yeah vocabulary very good and just just the use of the word jack i think he's just he just has little sprinkles of cleverness there well now what's dastari doing dastari's a prick um so nice conscious stricken dastari goes but i'll leave the keys there i mean so you you could you, you might be able to try and escape so is he being mean there going i'll leave them just out of the reach to tempt you in which case that doesn't tie in with the sort of nice conscience-stricken stastari we see a bit you know fairly soon um or uh, yeah so it's just uh, poor old lawrence Payne is having to do i think contradictory things um but 
uh, and I like the little bits that the, the little bits that they have where they speak in unison to remind you that they're both the same person. And I like because Troughton is sort of the nicest Doctor to, in, in, in a way, because he's so sort of jolly and picks like. But he's an absolute dick uh, when he's with another Doctor. It winds up Pertwee, and he and he banter's with uh, with Colin Baker. Um, <laughs> he's he's actually quite a tricky bugger, um, but he what a what a great face. Um, it's odd that they that he he decided to go. Uh, yeah, but we, I've got to have grey hair because it's just. A, but if if you're your doctor, you you didn't have grey hair then. But there we go. Um, so yes, I would be interested to see how how. Uh, uh, and you could tweet as well if you if you like uh, at Hayduck Podcasts uh, to tell me what you think of sort of Oscar's death and the and the violence. Uh, I suppose. Uh, I suppose, which is the sort of headline news about this, because it and it really well, and there's a bit later, and especially as of course I'm supposed to be accentuating the positive. So this is the scene I showed the students where I was, I think, a bad teacher. Um, I think you know, t- yeah, te- teachers should be slightly loftier and not uh, not display their their weaknesses. I remember my my son's teacher entered pop idol and uh, no one of them x factor and didn't get through and and i said oh that's a shame he said yeah yeah she said the judges were yeah, and, and 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 instead of going yeah it's a shame i did my best and i lost there was a kind of oh yeah they didn't want me because they didn't want you know she, there was there was umbrage there and a suggestion of foul play or favorite or whatever and i remember thinking that a teacher shouldn't be doing that a teacher should should be using that even if she had felt hard done by she shouldn't have she shouldn't have transmitted that to the students she sort of transmitted to the students well i did my best and it didn't pay off so i will but i will still do my best next time um and i like to think that none of my teachers would have you know would have shown such weakness um but of course um uh nostalgia is full of lies and my teachers were probably just as imperfect but i saw them as teachers anyway i don't know perhaps i'm just getting old but i just uh, i've i've gone off piste a little bit but it just reminded it's because this scene uh reminded me of uh of a moment where i had uh shown my weakness when i was in the rare position of being uh (laughs) of being able to influence or instruct uh young people which doesn't happen very often uh, there's knives. There's a lot of knives in this. You need knives if you've got a story set in kitchens, of course. But uh, uh, it's it's quite a bendy knife. This one, um, I seem to recall. Yes, it's already bent. I don't know why they need. Is it because it's a prop knife? But and that, but that's brilliant um, because you 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 see it cut into his trousers and you see the blood. Now I don't know again if that's uh, a little bit of um, trickery and the imagination doing the work. But the the cut really works there. The knife is no longer bent. Um, that's a great. This a great shot of the three, but it it does look a bit like it's been shot in COVID time with Dastari miles away to the back. It's like when people have a chat in, 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 in outside the Rovers in Korea. And there's three people who know each other, but it, it was actually filmed at the height of COVID, so they're they're, you know, they're sort of having a conversation in a triangle where everyone's two meters apart. So this is uh, COVID in severe. Um, but this is brilliant. The longing that she does there. Jacqueline Pierce is excellent in this. And and then you have her, uh, uh, 
succumbing to the beast within and i'm drawn to that very idea that oh look but look how she does that sensual longing and then that and then dastari is uh, i mean it would be enough to set him over the edge if he had any sort of consistent characterization um uh but it's, i think that's a brilliant moment i think jacqueline pierce does it superbly but i'm i'm very much drawn to that idea of you know what we dress ourselves up as we are all beasts we are all animals that got i get ideas above our station and what makes us good is our intellect and sometimes i don't think it's bad to have bad thoughts so long as you don't act upon them do you know what i mean what uh, i i think sometimes i think that sometimes to show that we have a veneer of civilization we sometimes deny that we think the things that we think lest other people think bad things of us and i still think well no i think I think some of our thoughts come from our natural instincts and, and, and what makes us good and decent and, and better than the animals is that we, we overcome those instincts with rationality and intelligence. Um, and what makes Doctor Who a great hero is that he doesn't poison people to death uh, and then make a joke. Uh, so it's a good job he's not about to do that. I mean, I, mean, I remember I sat in on the... Um, Resurrection of the Daleks DVD commentary. I didn't do it. Nick Nick Pegg uh, Nick Pegg uh, moderated that, and I remember um, Eric Saywood saying, "Oh yeah, this bit here. I in the script it says the Doctor shoots the two guards just before he goes in and kills Davros. Now the reason that scene is effective is because the Doctor's going, "I'm going to kill Davros," and you go, "My goodness, Doctor Who doesn't kill people. It's totally undermined if he kills the guards. So I'm glad he didn't kill the guards. But it just showed how uh, Eric Saywood, who I like sort of the toughness i like some of the no nonsense of what what he brings to doc two because it is the stuff i sort of liked as a kid i much preferred that to what i saw as some of the sort of beige walking around spaceships that happened quite a lot in the davison era um this was much more to my to my taste oh god his warts look particularly horrible in this shot um uh, old shock eye but but this, I, I think, is, I'm afraid, again, I know I'm supposed to be accentuating the positive. What I love about Doctor Who is that he uh, is that he d doesn't kill people and he solves things with his wit and with his intellect. And I know, as a liberal, that makes me a hypocrite because Doctor Who has blown up many buildings where he hasn't, therefore, directly dispensed death. And somehow that is more palatable. Uh, I'm I'm aware I'm having my liberal cake and eating it and then giving that liberal cake laced with poison to somebody who dies 20 years later and that makes me feel like I haven't directly killed them myself but but nonetheless I think I think actually having the doctor directly kill somebody and then making the joke uh, is is I think I'm sorry, Eric Saywood, uh, and the fact that you, you know, we all wanted him to shoot those two guards just out of expedience uh, suggests that, yeah, I know the argument is, well, sometimes when with, I know what Eric Saywood says, he says, when, when you're dealing with violent situations, violence is the only answer, but not for Doctor Who. That Doctor Who is unlike other heroes on the telly in that he doesn't deal death uh, if if he can help it. He, he, you know, he d he does, or he or she does. They do, the doctor does what they do. I, 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 well, good death there. Lawrence Payne wasn't a young man there, and I think he does a good, a good, uh, 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 and it's a good laser laser gun zap. I like a zap. Uh, so poor old Dastari, but again, I mean, it was swimming against the tide of um, consistency, uh, and then Jamie gets to use his knife uh, and. Uh, 
the whole thing has been set up because the doctor's done the trick so i I like all the stuff with the the time machine and 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 carts and rhymer who uh, we never see i'm surprised somebody's not done a short trips or a little little some segue story about carts and rhymer um the fading there was much better than it was with Patrick Trout in the restaurant because obviously take them away, put makeup, come back, take them away, put makeup, come back. Um, so, yes, much as I like the two doctors, I sort of have to pretend that there's not a bit at the end where the doctor murders Shockeye, even though Shockeye is a villain. He is, a sh- from Shockeye's point of view, he's a chef. He's just dealing with livestock. He's dealing with what he sees as lesser creatures. Um, uh, so, so although, yes, by our standards, he is, he is, he is villainous. By his standards, he's, uh, you know, he's just, uh, uh, he's, he's just a, a particularly pragmatic gourmand. Uh, um, and this is the end of Patrick Troughton in Doctor Who. This is the last... This is the last we see of Patrick Troughton. Uh, oh, so farewell, my favourite. That's the that's the last we see of Patrick Troughton. Goodbye. Uh, what a brilliant actor he was. What a fine doctor. Um, it's a very schizophrenic story, this isn't it? So we're going to have the the uh, the punchline now, which is going well. What we've learnt now that I've just murdered a man is that eating meat is bad. <laughs> And I um I've been a vegetarian since I was eleven, um, but but I'm not a vegan. So again, you could say you know that's hypocritical in that yes I I won't eat I I won't eat the thing that's directly like an animal, but I will eat stuff that's been produced from kind of some of the same uh, processes. And so so you know we're all. We all compromise our morality. Uh, there's the, there are contradictions in all of our moralities, which is why it ill behoves us to be judgmental of others. Uh, I I just try to do the best I can, as one man said, but I'm aware of the inherent uh, contradictions. Uh, so perhaps perhaps uh, I shouldn't be quite so hard on Dastari. Um, uh, in fact, John Stratton gets uh, top guest billing. Um, very, very well. Look. I am not, it's really interesting, I am not saying this is a faultless story by any stretch of the imagination. I even have some sympathy with the person that said it was the worst Doctor Who script of all time. No, I I mean, I I don't think I'd go that far at all. Um, But I can see their objections with it in, in terms of what it pitches, what it says, some of the choices it makes that sort of schizophrenia that it has. And yet I enjoy it. I enjoy the characters. I enjoy what it has to say. I enjoy some of the jokes. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a largely effective production. I know Peter Moffat gets... I mean, actually, hang, hang drawn and quartered largely because you don't get the Sontar and mask in close-up. Um, and that's enough to go. Then it's all. Then it's terribly directed. Um, I actually think there's some nice direction in places. And also, he was so efficient that they got more stuff shot in Spain than was scheduled. And you go, well, you know, when sometimes people didn't even finish making the program, um, uh, uh, you know, that's worth its weight in gold when you're making television in uh, the 1980s. So, 
Um, I get to choose three things. Two things from this episode and one thing, one bonus thing. So I think the two things I'm going to choose for this episode, uh, I love the gag of, uh, I, with an honourable mention of that scene, because I used to watch that scene quite a lot. Sometimes I think uh, when I watched the episode, I'd go back and watch that scene again. I love the scene where Stike makes the Doctor get into the, into the time machine and then Jamie stabs him and then he shoots the laser. I love that scene because um, it just excited me. And I remember when I, I got it on video, having you know watched this the first time, and I got it on video as a as a sort of collector. And, and I remember going, oh, I'd forgotten. Oh, this is a really good scene. Oh, and it, uh, uh, it excited me and it thrilled me. But I think Stike will be included, and I think Clinton Grain is excellent as Stike, but I think... Stike will be included in my favourite thing is is I like the running gag of Stike, of the indignities that Stike suffers from being burnt in the face a bit to then going in the time machine and melting a bit more and then going into a spaceship and being blown to bits and just being a leg. Um, I think that's deliberate and very funny and uh, as a bleak... A, so uh, it excuses some of the grotesqueness in the story because it's obviously done there with a sort of streak of black humor which i kind of like um and the other thing is it's got to be that that scene where jacqueline pierce so brilliantly um succumbs to the feral beast within the creature of what is it uh what is it dastari calls them a creature of instinct um uh i, I mean i it's interesting what you say about can a whole race be base creatures of, uh, you know, I think that's quite simplistic to say, well, you know, we, we can't make the Andrigums brainy because they're all the same. Uh, that's, but, you know, we're talking about kids tea time science fiction and the, 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 you know, what the Andrigums are is they are alien gourmands. Um, you know, they are, they are creatures who enjoy sensual pleasures. Um, and sometimes in Doctor Who, a whole species can have one characteristic and, and that helps with the telling of this story. So, but I'm aware that in, you know, perhaps more sophisticated fare, you'd, 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 you'd have a hard, hard job getting that past as a thing you can do in a script to say, well, a race is all entirely the same. Um, and it's, I'll be interested to see if Matt brings any of that up because he does do stuff about cultural sensitivities and uh, he's very much at the, the cutting edge of, of how we deal with uh, such things in these times when we you know have to be very aware of those things and rightly so. Um, but nonetheless, that scene that Jacqueline Pierce does so well and it's a really grim and quite undoctor Who-y thing um, uh, of, of the Doctor's blood on the step and she puts it to her face and she licks it and... Uh, uh, and Dastari's reaction, I think it's an excellent scene and pretty grim as well. Um, but but and that and that you know that pull between base instinct and you know, you know intellectual advancement, if you like, I think is interesting and very well done. So those are my two things for that episode, and I think my thing for the whole thing is I like the central wheeze. I like the conceit of um, we're on the food chain. That's uh, you know that's that's the central metaphor that's the the subtext of much of what is going on sometimes not even subtext of suddenly humanity is on the menu or we're you know we're no better than the things we eat i like anything that cuts us down to size a little bit uh and and examines that and i think it's you know it's 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 littered through the script in, in very interesting ways so those are my three things 
uh, let us see what my friend Matthew Hayden, not the cricketer, has chosen in his final video. So, The Two Doctors, episode three. And I think I'm allowed three choices here, if I understand the rules correctly, Toby. Um, so, first of all, Patrick Troughton again, when he goes full Andragum, which is delicious. And I love the fact that he still insists they dress properly to eat, as any gentleman or gentle Andragum, if there is such a thing, knows. Uh, top hats in Spain, I think, is my second choice. Nothing much more to say than that. Top hats in Spain. Um, and third, the killing of Oscar. Really quite brutal. And um, I seem to remember that series was quite controversial for some of its violence and brutality, wasn't it? But um, really good, I think, to see a, a lovable character get killed, uh, which, of course, nowadays is ten a penny in things like Games of, Game of Thrones, uh, etc., isn't it? Uh, anyway, thank you so much for inviting me to do this, Toby. I really enjoyed watching them, taking it back to my youth, and um, I hope you enjoyed it too. See ya. Uh, I feel bad now because Matt is wearing a cravat, and Matt does dress very well and like a, a gentleman, and this is the first of these. Um, I, I videoed part one. I haven't videoed parts two and three because I'm getting a bit behind with everything and setting up the videos and then editing them and putting them on YouTube to get watched by far fewer people um and and because i've had some you know some sort of other other um pulls on my time uh with a poorly partner and uh a need to earn a living um meant something had to give so i i was sort of delayed there was quite a big gap between parts part one and two and it was partially because it's like oh, i've got to get the tripod out and i've got to set the things up and and then when you edit them it takes you know so, so i thought right i'm gonna motor on i'm gonna get a few of these in the can and if that means not filming them. but unfortunately matt's done sort of visual gags as part of his and is is dressed in a cravat so imagine uh as a, a, a sort of a bald man in a cravat is, is what matt is and who um i should have guessed would have uh knowing him as i did would have liked the appeal of the the gentleman uh the gentleman around spain although he sort of did do that twice he had the dressing for dinner oh no because he had patrick troughton's performance the Andrew but the gentleman dressing for dinner and then the top hats and he did interesting he chose the murder of oscar that is very very interesting that he chose that um so after a good show in part two where i uh I got a point from something I'd chosen in part one and I got another point because I, I kind of gave myself the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I didn't get any of that. Um, so I lost again. Uh, uh, which which uh, is another... Um, um, uh, 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 another f failure to hit hit the finals board or to, to even register on the positive i've never won i've never won uh, and i can i will continue uh, not to but i enjoyed that although I, interesting because i was sort of analyzing it a bit more it's it's faults did manifest itself them, themselves to me uh, in a way that i haven't really cared about before because i've watched the story purely for entertainment um i'm aware of its faults but i still like it and that's okay. Um, we don't. What we like doesn't necessarily have to be good, or even to our taste, or we can like in spite of themselves, or in spite of, in fact, the contradictions within themselves. Um, uh, yeah, which is which is interesting. Um, 
and something I will uh, it will take me a while to digest which is wholly appropriate but um, well I hope you enjoyed that I hope it was to your taste uh, and if it wasn't uh, there'll be, uh, I'm sure something there is along soon. Nice to do a Colin Baker because uh, I haven't had a chance to do many of those. Nice to see my friend Matt and nice to talk to you. Um, I'm going to bed now. Uh, so good night, sweet princes and princesses everywhere. Well, thanks very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest for the two doctors was Matt Hayden. He can be found on Twitter at MattHayden65. I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make this podcast possible, who include Reese Williams, Rich Wiggins, Peter Ware, Gavin Ware, Alistair Wallace, Jeff Walker, Gary Wales, Lee Wakerley, John Turner, Van Man Sang, Sidney Trout, Jason Thompson, Paul Taylor Greaves, Adam Stone, David Spotlet, David Spencer, Richard Smith, Trevor Smith, Brian Sinclair, Paul Shields, John Sheehan, Frank Shales, Edward Salt, Samuel, Tom Solinsky, Gavin Rymill, John Rumpet, Darren Rule, Alex Rowan, Murray Robertson, Paula Reynolds, Peter Reed, Ian Radford, Liam Price, Mary Ann Plicati, John Pettigrew, and Thomas Payne. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Um, so if you would like to be a patron and add your name to that list and there are other names too, uh, please go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Three pounds a month is the lowest tier uh, and you can even get 10% off that if you sign up for a year in advance. You get advance releases, bonus material, um, uh, you know, exclusive. There's one whole exclusive podcast called Far Too Much Information, which is a, a supplement to the Too Much Information podcasts. Uh, there's also monthly Ask Me Anythings. There's pictures of my dog. There's interviews uh, with actors, perhaps related to the happy times and places that haven't been heard anywhere else. All that on my Patreon page. Um, I know a monthly commitment is tough. You could go to Kofi. Kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. No inducements there, uh, apart from if you particularly like something I've done or if I sound or look particularly hungry when you see or hear me uh, and you are feeling particularly flush and want to bunk something in my direction, it will be very much appreciated. Um, but look, what costs you nothing is to go to iTunes, to go to podcasts, uh, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts, which is what I sort of was meaning to say before I melted them all together. Uh and and just write something nice. Five star reviews uh, really help to separate these from uh, you know other podcasts that people might be uh, thinking of looking at. And you know if people give these a chance, they might enjoy them. But uh, they only know to enjoy them if you tell them by putting your advocacy on in cyberspace official like. So yeah, five stars and a lovely review would be great. Uh, alternatively. Just tell your friends, um, especially if you're in the States or Canada or Australia, anywhere outside the UK, really, um, where I'd love to get my talons a little further into uh, worldwide listenership because I, well, I hope that this stuff might appeal everywhere. I am slightly more limited by geography with my stand-up comedy, which is every Tuesday at Excess Malarkey Comedy Club in Manchester. Although, if you want to get a sample of a kinder version of it, we went online during lockdown and at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey. That's an X, an S, and Malarkey, M-A-L-E. 
A-R-K-E-Y. There's me mucking about with acts from the international comedy circuit. Uh, We all got together every Tuesday during lockdown to continue to try to provide entertainment. And there's an archive of some of the performances with some amazing comics from Eddie Pepitone to James Acaster to uh, Randy Feltface to Alice Fraser to Mark Watson, uh, Nish Kumar, Ed Gamble, um, some really, really fine comics. And it's all up there for free on twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey. I feel a bit for Matt because he went to the trouble of uh, actually recording a video, as as quite a few people have done. But the the videos, there are some of the uh, happy times of places on my YouTube channel, but they take quite a long time to do and don't get anything like as many uh, uh, people availing themselves of them. So uh, I'm quite busy. So uh, I've put most of my energies into these podcasts, but I, I, I have recorded most of them as videos as well. But the two doctors, for some reason, I I didn't. Now I should have not done that with 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 some that uh, I guess um, you know people had only recorded an audio contribution to but uh, I didn't really think about it until it was too late so it will it's it's like the Quatermass experiment episodes four to three four five and six um, that you will never see me talking about the two doctors so that the the uh, audio that you have here there are no pictures I think I did I think I did record some pictures on one or one of the episodes or two of the episodes i can't remember i'll have to go through my archive but there will never be a complete um two doctors uh, so if anyone wants to do a sort of telesnap recon of uh, these these uh, commentaries um i'll happily put them on youtube uh, but that was daft of me um so full of knowledge after the event um i can't even keep up with myself anyway thanks to matt and sorry about the lack of pictures <laughs> <laughs> 